You're listening to I'll Have What She's Podcasting, a film and pop culture podcast hosted by Louise Oliver and Jackie Farmer, two tired feminist millennials giving you opinions you didn't ask for about the content they love. I'm hitting record so that I can get involved in Jackie's love life. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm just going to leave that in there as a no context uh, statement. <laughs> Yeah. So I would like to say right off the top, I am fairly certain I have my audio settings correct this time. And I do apologize to those who suffered through the first hour of our Titanic episode having to listen to me sound shit. And I do feel the need to apologize because it was in fact pointed out. So. <laughs> they pointed it out. Big shout out to one of our uh, regular listeners, Mrs. Caroline McGonagall, my sister-in-law. <laughs> Oh, okay. She's like, you sound shite. <laughs> She's like, what is going on? She works in that whole world. So she was a bit like, hang on, I caught and pick a minute. What's going on? And rightly so. Yeah. If you haven't listened to that episode yet and you're going to go back, I have actually put in the show notes the time at which we sort the sound out. It is an hour in, 54 minutes or so in, but there is a good hour left. So if you're the kind of person that it really bothers, just, that information is there for you. Just speed through me fucking it up. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so I apologize. My sound is my sound is still shit, but it's okay if it's just one of us. That's what I noticed. <laughs> <laughs> you get away with it. Hopefully, some at some point soon we will be able to do it in the studio and be in the same place at the same time with maximum micage. <laughs> yes. And it will sound so sweet. But that well, hopefully that will happen soon. I say soon, but you know, you never know what Madam Madam Corona has has in store yes. for us. People of Glasgow, please wear your masks. Please, please, so we can, please. We, want, we just want to be together. We do. <laughs> we want to be in the same space. And speaking of things that are terrifying, mm. what movie are we talking about <laughs> this time, Jackie Farmer? Wonderful segue. Thank you. This week, Louise Oliver, we are talking about the 1979 classic space horror, Alien. Yes! Yes, we are. Sorry, that was very yes. enthusiastic. Well, why why wouldn't it be? It's a wonderful film. It's a perfect film. And I will fight anyone who tries to say otherwise. No truck for me. I did realise when I was watching this that I really was not familiar with it. I don't think I watched it more than once all the way through in my life before this week when I watched it twice all the way through. Oh, well done. That's impressive. Good for you. Like, wh- why is that? Elaborate for me. Well, I'm a big Aliens fan. There we go. That's what I thought you were going to say. So I think there's an element to which it's just the one I would... Well, I don't even know if it's if it's ever a franchise that I've really taken a notion to watch, but when it's been on, it's been really good. But Aliens is more of an action. It's less horror-y. Yeah. And I'm also a complete... That's a big factor. I'm a huge wuss. <laughs> yeah, you are. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, our coverage of horror might be limited unless I fly solo. Maybe on your birthday. Maybe on my birthday. birthday. I did actually find, so the reason that I watched this twice this week was because the first time I watched it, I stuck it on and realised, like, oh, everything I think I know from this film, with very few exceptions, I actually know from Aliens. I'm getting these mixed up. And I knew the vague thing. I know what happens. Mm -hmm. but And I knew about, like, the fourth act and everything. But I think it was maybe something that I've watched really young, maybe with my brother, or that maybe my brother and my dad were watching. And I was, like, came in, realised it was horrifying 
and left <laughs> ran away <laughs> but have like had a general knowledge of what happens in the film what's about stuff yeah and then just that was it just didn't <laughs> didn't want to put myself through that uh, yeah. and that's fair I am broadly the same uh, in terms of just how frequently I have watched this because Aliens the franchise and I say franchise because I love all things Aliens and all things Sigourney Weaver and all things the franchise. Even the bad ones. I love the bad ones. But okay. Alien and Aliens are up there in my top five favourite movies of all time. I love these movies. But I tend to, when people, when I say that, I tend to say Aliens because it is the one I go to. It is, I would probably stick it on over Alien because although I believe Alien to be the superior movie in some ways, Aliens is... It's just eminently watchable. It is, they're, they're two vastly different movies. They do different they're things. So different. Yeah. yeah. And Alien is scarier. Well, actually, wait, no, I take that back. I don't think it's scarier. There are points where Aliens is actually scarier, I think. But Aliens is more cerebral. Yeah. And uh, I, yeah, I think that they're on a par for me. They just, they do, they, they serve different purposes for me. I absolutely adore this franchise. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, they're up there. I think, I think I've watched Aliens like way, way, way into the double digits. I've watched that movie okay. so many times I can quote it. So, assuming we do that one fairly quickly after this, well, we're gonna do it. Well, we have to because it's. I know. <laughs> um, God, we have to do it because it's the link between our last podcast, Titanic. It's the only way to get to Alien. So That's, the link yeah. was to go to Aliens. But if we're gonna do Aliens, we should probably do Alien first, which brought us to Alien, which is fine. I don't regret it. But one of the reasons I watched it twice was when the first time I watched it, I was so unfamiliar. So I was really taking quite a lot of notes because films like Titanic and First Wives Club and Clueless and Star Wars, I've seen them so many times that if we get to a point where we're like, what bit was that? I would remember, whereas with Alien, less so, Mm -hmm. unless it's one of the really famous scenes. So one of the reasons I did that was I just found I was taking a lot of notes and then I probably wasn't really in it. I didn't actually find it that scary Mm. the first time because I was just maybe just overthinking it. Mm -hmm. So last night I waited till it was a bit dark, (laughs) turned off all the lights, turned off my screens. I just watched it and I had a terrible time. (laughs) I had a nice time. I I enjoyed it. Well, Um, I I appreciate this like thorough and robust approach you've taken to this week's source material. You've gone for the academic and the visceral. I'm very proud of you. I don't know. I don't think I have any facts. Well, that's okay because I don't think I have many either. I just, I think for me, this episode is going to feel like I am just gushing all over the place about the things I love about it as a movie. Because like I saw this really young like far too young um I remember this because I think I was like there's there was this little boy that lived across the road from us in the first house we we had when I was growing up and he was my best friend his name was Philip he had two older sisters he had two older siblings so I think he got access to a a VHS or something he got access to Alien somehow and I remember us watching it in his house and I must have been like I don't know like nine something like that eight or nine and the reason that this is this whole experience is burned in my brain is because from that moment on, from the moment on of us seeing Alien, it was terrifying. It was, I'm not saying we weren't scared as kids. We were. We absolutely were. It was like this very kind of felt like this very illicit, very adult, wild thing that we had access to. And then after that, Philip would make us play Aliens. So like us and the, <laughs> and the other kids in the street, we, we would try and explain what we were the game we were playing 
Mm-hmm. And uh, and I am still really bitter about this. I carry this with me to this day. He would never let me be Ripley. He always had to be Ripley. Uh, that is an outrage. And I, it was an outrage because I was like, well, hang on, Ripley's a girl. And he was like, yeah, but, you know, you can't. She's the coolest, so I'm going to be Ripley. And I'm like, yeah, you're uh-huh. right. She is the coolest. So, like, uh-huh. yeah. Take turns, Philip. <laughs> yeah, so he, he always got to be Ripley. And then I was just some other marine because i think ripley was the only name that we remember not marine actually not because it wasn't a marine some other member of the nostromo crew john hart i was probably john hart and yeah and i've carried the resentment of that with me through my entire life it probably has it's probably been very formative i think it's informing it's like gone a long way to informing my personality to this day your first Uh, run-in with the patriarchy oh yeah (laughs) That's where it all started. Thank you very much, Philip. Indeed. Uh, yeah, first run in with the patriarchy and first run in with like not being cast in the role that I really wanted. So I'm sure you made Kane your own. Yeah, well, <laughs> right. Well, I will point out, I think as with all of our films, there will be spoilers. I'm going to take a beat and not assume that everybody listening has seen the film. purely because many of my very supportive friends who listen to our podcast are also major wusses and (laughs) like scary things so I don't think it means we need to shy away from spoilers but there might be some explanation of things that are going on because that's fine I want to make people feel appreciated that's very inclusive of you and I like Mm. it does that mean we should maybe follow something of a chronological order then would that help that might make sense actually for this one okay I have a lot of notes but they're not really very good a lot of them are really stupid a la John Hurt is gonna John die (laughs) (laughs) okay spoiler I mean probably do a really quick synopsis which is that seven people are in the middle of space in the future on their way back to earth after mining some ore from somewhere Mm -hmm. and they wake up and they think they're close to earth but they're not they're woken up from hypersleep early and they're told to go and investigate what looks like a distress signal. So they go and do that. One of them gets attacked by something, comes back to the Nostromo, the ship that they're on, and it's a crab-like alien stuck to his face and it's horrible. <laughs> and you no, know, I don't, yeah, just let, just leave me there. You don't, you don't like that, do you? No Freeze one likes me. That. Nobody likes it. And then the crab thingy comes off, the face hugger comes off, everything's fine. But then a tiny baby alien bursts out of John Hurt's chest while he's at dinner and very quickly grows into a giant alien, which systematically hunts down everybody on the ship and kills them, apart from Ripley, who escapes in an escape pod and blows up the Nostromo thing king that the alien was on it but he's not or we don't know what gender maybe there is no gender in space (laughs) well Uh, i'll counter that in just a minute but please carry on (laughs) it is very much a construct Um, so the alien it is on they are on the, sh- the shuttle with Ripley and she manages to blast out into space and then she goes to sleep so it's actually not a film where a ton happens no and that's okay uh, because this is not a movie about necessarily lots and lots of things happening in quick succession it's a movie about building tension and yes that is a beautifully done synopsis uh, my synopsis is capitalism in space they're always so much more succinct than <laughs> This is going to be my new thing. What, what uh, big, you know, societal issue and, and in what environment is the movie about? Let's keep it, brief. keep it brief. So I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that this is a perfect movie. 
Like it's flawless. Okay. I'm just gonna I'm gonna go right in there. I'm gonna go hard and state that right at the top. Okay. And I, I realize that's you know mostly personal opinion, but in terms of how this movie is written, how it's directed, how it's performed, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and its overall delivery, how it's shot, everything is yeah. into my mind completely pitch perfect. I think it's how it's scored as well. Like it's yeah perfect. And it's it's strange because it works so well. But also it's so different, such a different film to any other film. You can see things that have been really influenced by it that are still really good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's a a pretty weird film. It is weird. And, you know, that's a really good point. And I think um, it sort of changed the game, I think, in terms of the way sci-fi is perceived and also what it can be like. There's been, I, I'm sure you saw it recently. There was an argument on Twitter about whether or not it was a sci-fi movie or a horror movie, as if it, it could be both. Um, yeah. You know, but then some people will come into that argument and say, well, actually, it's in many ways, it's kind of a, a political thriller in some ways as well, because it's about yeah. it's about corporate greed and capitalism and how people are seen as expendable in the pursuit mm-hmm. of profit. There's your dissertation topic for you right there. <laughs> and it's because you're right. Like when you look at what came before because I say this was made in 1979, which is so easy to forget the minute you start watching it mm-hmm. because it's aged so beautifully. It's amazing. Oh my God. It, it looks great. It looks phenomenal. Even to the point where, because the tech, is, a lot of the tech is quite analog. But mm-hmm. that doesn't faze me because there's something about the way the analog tech is integrated. Because well, I say it, the way it's integrated, that's just what they had. It was 1979. So this was a 1979 idea or imagining of what this future would look like. But for some reason, for me, even the analog nature of some of the tech doesn't date it. Because I, th- no. I sort of go, well, I'm that's sort there. of fine. Like if it's a big sort of ore mining ship, I feel like... Or it's like if you're that far out in space like where's your internet coming from where's exactly your, where's your wi-fi pylons or wherever wi-fi comes from i don't know <laughs> i'm sure it comes from pylons i'm sure i'm sure it is if, it, if right. it doesn't someone will tell us i'm sure it's <laughs> <laughs> the one correction that we will allow. yeah you can tell us does wi-fi come from pylons answers on a postcard jackie's Which, facts is terrible this week well this maybe maybe we need a new jingle right instead of jackie's facts it can be uh, Jackie and Lou Don't have a clue <laughs> Jackie and Lou Don't have a clue Yeah I was going to say Jackie and Lou gush And then I stopped myself Because that sounds like a totally different <laughs> podcast So let's go with uh, Jackie and Lou Don't have a clue <laughs> what were we talking about? Yes, the analog tech and the Wi-Fi pylons, yeah. um, or lack thereof. It feels like, you know, in this sort of level of space travel, you're just going to abandon like fancy, like slick Tony Stark stuff mm-hmm. and really just concentrate on life support systems and and the various big, large bits of engineering that would require you to travel through space in this manner. So, you know, yeah. if something looks a bit analog and it's, you know, a comms desk or whatever, I'm fine with that. I just think it looks phenomenal. The way it sets everything up from the minute that we enter is because the credits are even brilliant. The way the credits kind of slowly coalesce, like the title, yeah. the title of the movie just kind of slowly merges in, and this, this, that sort of very low hum of a score is just mm-hmm. does everything to sort of set your set your teeth on edge a little bit because you're just like, Ugh, where are we going? Yeah. <laughs> it's all yeah. It's, there are a few things that I've just watched for some reason, and one of which includes the haunting of hill house there are episodes that were not very many scary things happen but you're just uncomfortable the whole time because you're waiting for something to happen mm-hmm. and the music from the very start has you waiting it's it's unsettling yeah. noises 
Yeah. And there's that is happening because there's two things happening. There's score, there's music, there is a sort of theme happening in the opening of this movie, but there's also this there's this composition, there's use of sound because there's these thick, almost womb-like lab jar kind of bubbles and like yeah, you, do you know what I mean? I, that's the only way I can. Wim like yeah. is the only way I can describe it's it. It's sort actually. of like a whoop, 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 yeah, it's, kind of noise. Yeah, it's very, very unsettling. <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's genius, pretty much from the word go, because you're instantly in. I think. Yeah, I think my note said I'm oh, I'm already terrified. Like it's the whole lost in the vastness of space thing. It's setting us up for that right away, and it's instantly yeah. terrifying. And then everything sort of is set up so beautifully because we get the sense that we go from the empty vastness of space into the Nostromo, and then Nostromo's empty. We go from space to space. We we actually navigate the geography of the Nostromo right at the top of the movie because we'll see all these spaces again when they're inhabited yeah. by by the crew, but when we initially see them, they're empty, and that yeah that in itself kind of reinforces the unease but also sets us up for an understanding of the environment that we're in and that there are meant to be people there because we see the unused helmets and then and then obviously we come to the hypersleep pods and everyone wakes up um and then it gets real good it gets it gets real sort of like sorry i'm gonna like feel free to interrupt me at any moment because you might find that you could just set me running on this nope you're doing great (laughs) i like the way that kind of um everybody wakes up and we get this sort of classic like ensemble set up we get a little sense of their personality everybody's like starts to wake up and they're teasing each other lighting cigarettes wanting coffee and you just get a sense of their camaraderie yeah Um, there is so much smoking in this film (laughs) there's so much smoking people in what year is it supposed to be i'm not sure the script the shooting script by Mm -hmm. dan o'bannon i think the story was had some other people involved in it but the screenplay was Dan O'Bannon's, I think. And uh, he just says somewhere in the future in that. Okay. But I don't know if that appears, if there's anything online about setting it specifically. Google says 2122. Okay. It's almost exactly 100 years in the future from now. From now. Hopefully not. Hopefully things are a bit nicer. (laughs) And then in the 1970s, they clearly couldn't imagine a future that didn't involve everybody buffing on a fag every every other second. And workers' rights are still woefully underprotected. Yeah, yeah. And the practical set and production design, we've kind of touched on this already, uh, it just all looks great. It tells us a story in and of itself, like, because things look futuristic, but they also look a bit bashed up. Yeah. Nothing looks new. So it's got this kind of, like, Nostromo's seen some shit, but it's also very much still set in a future that we haven't seen yet, but it's also got this familiarity to it. And I just... I just fucking love it. I guess it's a vessel that's just 100% functional because essentially when the crew aren't up to work, they are asleep. Yeah. So it's not like they, they have a gym or like a cinema or a rec room. It's like, it's just, there's a wee cafeteria, but there's not, you're there to work and it's a bit, it's there to be functional. I, I mean, yeah, I guess the assumption is that in between bouts of, of whatever it is they need to do. So it's a mining ship, so you know they they reach their destination they do that perform the task and then presumably they're in hypersleeper stasis in between yeah just to get so just to no get back for like fun stuff yeah yeah just to get back as get back as soon as possible because presumably again if there's so much of this that i feel that is rooted in that capitalist for-profit ideal if they're out there mining faraway galaxies for presumably some form of fuel source the back and forth is like is an urgent thing it's like get there perform the task get back so yeah john hurt's kind of a hottie you think so yeah he's kind of got like 
don't know. Maybe it's his gravitas. Just kind of got some sort of like I don't know if you you're just like so f- not not my type, but at the same time in this movie, there's just something about you. I don't know. I don't know what it is. If you were stuck in space, yeah. If I was stuck in space for work, I think I'd be like Maybe him over Tom Skerritt or Yafet Koto or Ian Holm. Yeah, definitely. Harry Dean Stanton, not <laughs> Harry Dean Stanton, gal. Well, I mean, you know, you, you can never tell how you're gonna how you're gonna react <laughs> in space to certain things, um, to certain needs. Yeah. No, I don't know. I, I John Hurt's just doing it for me. I don't know. Maybe it's just because okay. I know he's a bit of an icon. I'm just like, yeah, John Hurt. Just something about about his character in this movie. Yeah, when um when he wakes up, I thought the way they frame it because they show him waking up first, and they kind of pan the camera on him for a while, so they make it almost look like he's the main character. Yeah, which I think everybody watching this in 1979 would have assumed. Yeah, um, he's our hero, or like the captain played by the handsome Tom Skerritt, who's very 70s handsome. He's very 70s handsome, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and no um, other decade handsome. He's uh I mean he's handsome he's handsome now, I think. Yeah. He's a handsome he's a handsome older man. The crew the crew generally are brilliant. Everybody's had good. a proper career after yeah. this film. Like there's nobody that you're like, what happens to that guy? Yeah. They've all been in big stuff. Yeah, it's a brilliant cast. Like it is a really, really great cast. They're also interesting looking and they all sort of have their own defined personality which doesn't feel overtly stereotypical in the ways that some of these sort of sci-fi ensemble films do which in turn take their cue from aliens because aliens then sort of kind of was the front runner in that like sci-fi ensemble team of grunts Mm -hmm. taking on the thing and then they get picked off one by one but each one of them has a sort of broadly drawn comedic or narrative function yeah but this cast and this crew feel very particular like you get who each of them is in their own unique mm-hmm. way and what their priorities are. Um, yeah, the way that they all react is so different to the situation. Mm-hmm. And also, I like that there's two women on the crew, but neither is there to be the hot one. Yeah. And that's not to say that Sigourney Weaver and Veronica Cartwright are both beautiful women, mm-hmm. but that is not their function or role. It's not the way anyone seems to see them. Yeah. Um, it doesn't mean that there isn't some sexism in this film, but... But it's different. It's different kind it. of sexism. Yeah. It's, it's, it's more of a commentary. It's more like a very deliberate, like, I am making a point about something mm-hmm. sexism rather than having inexplicable eyeliner or a non-functional space suit that for some reason shows off your tits. Yeah, <laughs> yeah everyone's a mess. Everyone's a total like, mess. I mean, <laughs> I mean, they're a real mess by yeah. the end. But like yeah. they wake up and like nobody's like, oh, I have to do my skin routine. Look, like, yeah, nobody's... they all look rough as fuck. <laughs> yeah, they don't um, care. No. Their diet sucks. They have just I don't know what sleeping for that long does to you. They can't be very well hydrated apart from the fact that they sweat profusely. No, and it's hilarious that like because the hydration would presumably be key, but they can't, again the priority when they wake up is coffee and fags. It's like yeah. <laughs> And, and also, actually... being in hypersleep for months wouldn't get you through a nicotine withdrawal. <laughs> You'd like to hope so. I don't know. Uh, again, the 70s. I also like the fact that somebody comments, I think it's Parker who comments on the coffee is the only good thing on this ship. Yeah. Um, I think he has that line because everything else is a bit fucking crap. And uh, and they have a cat. They have a cat. Sorry for that's the other member of the ensemble, member of the team. They have a cat yeah, on the ship. Why do we think there's a cat? Um, Because you'd have a cat. I, I wondered if it was a nod to 
like earth sailing ships where they might have a cat to catch rats on the ship mm-hmm. but presumably i don't know maybe there could be rats on the nostromo but i was wondering if he's more of ripley's therapy cat yeah because he's it a is lovely cat he's a lovely oh, cat i mean the cat's presence does become such a, an important thing towards the end of the movie but not for any other purpose if if the cat wasn't there at all Ripley just wouldn't have to worry about him but he is there so she goes back and and and, and she gets him sorry who's like anyone who's listening who hasn't seen this movie I'm skipping to the end here there's yeah. a moment with the cat that we'll get to probably a little later on so it just so it doesn't feel integral to the plot to me unless but then of course there's lots of analysis about Ripley and motherhood and all of that and it but that's in the context of the whole franchise um we don't yeah. know anything about Ripley or her personal life in this movie no we know nothing about her um we don't get that until aliens and um so it sort of doesn't really add up that the cat's there to sort of demonstrate some kind of matriarchal protective streak that ripley has it just sort of feels like she sees the cat still on the ship and can't bear to leave him which is totally fair enough yeah i think (laughs) it's like how you get in any in any situation where there's a group of people be it a family or like flatmates whatever who have a cat it's quite quite often will be that the cat is kind of somebody's like Mm -hmm. the the cat likes somebody the best and he clearly loves Ripley the most because there's bits where they just don't really know what's going on and she's just got him on her knee and they're having a cuddle and you don't really see him doing that with anyone else and which made me wonder is it always has she brought him or is there just always a ship cat and she's done what I would do in that situation which is make that my cat well do you want to know what the alien anthology wiki has to say about it yeah. So Jonesy is, in fact, Ellen Ripley's cat. And okay. uh, while the cat's official purpose was to control rodents aboard the ship, which just seems uh, okay, he also served as a source of relaxation and entertainment for the crew. So he is sort of a therapy cat. And do you know what? Now, the more they're talking about it and the more it's sort of established in not just in sort of science fiction, but also actual space travel, the sort of stressful nature of it and how it can go, like in in terms of science fiction, how, you know, how it's presented that if you're in long space travel, it can make you go a bit mad. Then a therapy cat Mm -hmm. actually makes a lot of sense. Just having pets is, from, from having not had a cat in lockdown one time, having had a cat in lockdown too you're much better off having a cat or a pet um, so there we go yeah that is jonesy's okay. purpose exactly. and he is ripley's cat so that explains a hell of a lot more at the end of the movie why she's so keen to make sure she gets him off yeah. the nostromo with her i'm just gonna say at this juncture that ripley might be the best female character or you know character full stop ever committed to cinema again best character yeah ellen ripley uh played by sigourney weaver uh ellen ripley and Sigourney Weaver, you can't like you can't separate the two. Mm-hmm. Ellen Ripley is a brilliant character because of Sigourney Weaver. I don't think yep. there is any world in which I, you know, I, I just I just don't think this franchise would have been as successful if, for example, Ripley had been cast as a man or written as a man and cast as a man, um, or indeed played by anyone else. I can't, yeah, can't imagine anyone else in that role. Did I read that? Is this a is this a myth? Is this like a, a Hollywood legend that the script was written and because everyone's known as their last names, they didn't consider gender when they cast or something? I have heard that. I have heard that. Now I'm just gonna have so. In the version of the script I have found, and this doesn't necessarily mean that this was what was originally written, this could be a version that has seen, has gone through many things. It has the the crew list, and then in the script it says five men and two women, Lambert and Ripley. But 
what I'm looking at here doesn't necessarily like this could be a version of the script that is that exists on the internet that was created way after the movie was even released. Somebody's typed it out. Somebody's obviously typed it out. So I don't know for sure. Okay. It would be good to find that out. If anybody out there knows that, if Alien was written originally to be non-gender specific. It should be very progressive in 1979. Very progressive now. It makes sense. Apparently, when I Google it, the first thing that comes up is an article entitled Eight Great Female Roles That Were Originally Written for Men and Mm. Ellen Ripley appears in it. So let me just quickly scan this. Okay, so apparently it was switched. So apparently Ridley Scott switched Ripley from a standard male action hero to a heroine as a storytelling switcheroo. In quotation marks, it says, I just had a thought, what would you think if Ripley was a woman? She would be the last one you would think who would survive. So assuming that's true, then yeah, Ripley was originally written as a man or non-gender specific potentially. And just the assumption was that here is a space crew, they will all be men. I'm going to do some further research into that because it would be good to know. Yeah. I'm going to do a deep dive into the truth of that and we can maybe post it on our social media. Yeah, because there are things that happen in the film that do seem like there's a gender dynamic going on. Well, see, to me... But then that can also be like, well, when the actors are in that spot, apparently there was some improvisation in this film as well. Yeah. Um, So that's... And then as, as time goes on, you change things about based on the actors you have, I guess. Yeah, I feel like this. there's probably something to be said for Ridley Scott's influence on this film probably can't be understated because I think that, for me, gender plays such a huge part in not just this movie, but the entire franchise. Like, it's such an important part of it. And it's sort of hard to, to, to see, with the information available, how much of that was in the original screenplay. I'm starting to suspect not much. And how much of that was a result of once Sigourney Weaver was cast and once they were on set and once they were making this movie and the choices that were made and the way that Ridley Scott decided to direct it, how much of that then just came out of those all of those combined things? Because so much of where the gender dynamic stuff comes from is Sigourney Weaver and her performance. Mm-hmm. The way she's kind of not listened to and her constant level of calm and yeah, how good she is at her job, the way she's treated by... Ash, which is interesting considering it turns mm-hmm. out that he's an android. Spoiler alert. Yeah. <laughs> For anyone who hasn't seen yeah. this. And also, actually, in some ways, the way um Parker and Brett treat her as yeah, well. Yeah, the way the way they tease her. So that they get their information from this computer in the ship called Mother. Mm-hmm. That they call Mother, who gives them instructions. We don't really know what that's about. And they don't really explain it in a lot in, in any kind of detail, and it's fine. But Mother tells them that they have to go to this planet and check out this signal that she's trying, or that computer is trying to decipher. And so they land the shuttle down, all of them together, and three of them, mm-hmm. Kane Lambert and Dallas, go to investigate. Ripley, Ash, and the engineers, Parker and Brett, stay in the ship. And Parker and Brett have been kvetching about not getting paid as much as everyone else. Yeah. And they start basically just taking the piss out of Ripley while she's just trying to do her job, being mm-hmm. like, we're not doing any more till we get results. And But they're also just being annoying on purpose, like just being super annoying just on purpose, but acting like she's being unreasonable by being like you you guys are so annoying and it's like the way that like when you're in second year and boys in your English class who take the piss out of you every day yeah like hey hey Jacqueline did you see the do you see the show last night and you're like I'm not engaging with you because you're a dick every day and they're like what we're just asking if you watch tv and then 
you're like right okay fine and then they're like like like, nonsense nonsense I don't know yeah I don't know what they said it was never nice (laughs) (laughs) yeah they've got that but you know they also represent this thing again to bring it back to the dissertation topic about capitalism they represent sort of two probably pretty low paid but utterly essential members of this team and uh, there is a sort of urgency around this is the sort of structure under which we get paid the further delayed we are the more that that gets impinged upon potentially or or our lives are in danger if we stop here you know there's there's so many things that sort of and like there's an interplay of capitalism and like workers rights and yeah. And just, just, just you know, there is a sort of like if you woke up thinking you were not far from Earth, and suddenly you've been waylaid by this distress signal or whatever it is, you'd be pissed. You'd be seriously yeah. pissed because you'd be like, "For fuck's sake!" Like, yeah, this has taken us so far out of our way, and we don't even know why. And we're in fucking space, so like everything has to yeah. be considered. And then Ash, Ash brings up to them as well that it's not a matter of if we do this, we'll get more money. It's if we don't do it, we won't get paid at all. Yeah. And that, you know, that as the movie progresses, we we discover why that is in in, in more detail. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's interesting because mother, she's called mother because she's the M-U-T-H-U-R 6000. She's the mainframe, the AI mainframe of the ship. And she controls their hypersleep. She monitors their activities and she's the interface system for the chain of command. Mm-hmm. So that's what mother is. What she actually looks like is like... Um, She's very festive. She's decked out completely in Christmas lights. <laughs> That's what she is. She is. She's just a room with floor-to-ceiling Christmas lights. Uh, she's <laughs> very pretty. <laughs> yeah, she is. So that's her purpose, and she contains all the commands for from the boss company, from the from the Wayland Utani company corporation that owns the Nostromo and employs them all. Which again, I don't know if we find out. I think we we discover. Wayland Yutani later on, I think in future iterations or future installments of the franchise, but I cannot remember if it's actually even mentioned, like the corporation's even mentioned by name in this one, I can't remember. Yeah, I have a feeling it was maybe just referred to as the company. Yeah, I think so. So yeah, there's just, uh, there's some interesting dynamics going on. Mm-hmm. And I think... Yeah, yeah, they're definitely, Brett and Parker are definitely disgruntled. because yeah. there's And there's that thing where like they land, so they land on this planet in the shuttle, but they land a bit heavy. Mm-hmm. So there's, there's something wrong with the hull or something they have to fix. And it's Brett and Parker that have to fix it. And they're getting quite a lot of grief from the captain about it. And he, they're just kind of like, how long is it going to take? And Brett mutters like 17 hours and then Parker's like at least 25 hours yeah so there's that kind of like well we're gonna do it but we're just gonna take our sweet time yeah and you know if they if we get done faster than that then it's gonna look really good yeah they've got that kind of like you know anyone who's ever worked for a relatively big company or, or institution there's always people like that you generally find them in IT or something like that like Somebody who's going to be a wee bit difficult just for the sake of being difficult because their skill is so specialised that you're relying on it and you're like, dude, come on. Like, yeah, <laughs> give me a break. <laughs> but again, I kind of cut them both a bit of slack because I find this whole situation that they are in a little... It's just a, it's just less than ideal across the board. People are dismissive of them. I, yeah, I have I have sympathy for everyone in this film apart from Ash. So yeah, we do. We Let's talk about going to the the moon, the nearby moon. That's that's all very well done as well. That's a very intense set of scenes. Looks amazing. Yeah. The Swiss architect, H.R. Giger. Yes, indeed. Designed it. Yes, um, indeed. So everything's very swirly. 
it's very googleable you can google it and it, it's without it being scary yeah his work is amazing uh like it's very it's very yeah distinctive his work and it is sort of nightmarish and sci-fi uh kind of fantasy meets um it's almost a little bit steampunky it is quite steampunky in a way yeah and it's kind of darkly beautiful yep and some of the images that he created that inspired this film and then he created in response to the films are just like they're breathtaking some of the xenomorph artwork is unbelievable because it looks like it's so organic and it looks it looks machine-like but also like an organism it's just it's very it taps into something very primal yeah there's nothing quite like it yeah it is incredible I was talking to my dad yesterday and he said that there's, he lives in Switzerland and he says that there's a Giger museum. Ooh, that would be cool. Yeah. That would be worth a visit. I'm ever allowed to go there again. (laughs) So yes, they pop down on this planet. They have to walk there a whole 2,000 metres. And they find a ship. They find an abandoned ship. Yeah. And there's a... like a, a giant person-shaped thing that's died. Mm-hmm. And because of the way its rib bones are showing, it looks like something has come out of its chest. Indeed. To which Lambert, played by, that basically from this point on, increasingly freaked out Veronica <laughs> Cartwright. Yeah. Is basically just like, well, let's just get the hell out of here. Yeah, again, <laughs> she speaks for us all. She <laughs> is the audience. Apparently, she had turned up on set thinking she was playing Ripley. Oh. And um, then was very upset that she was playing this character. So Lambert, if you haven't seen the film, Lambert's the non-Ripley woman on the crew. And she is just... She She's at an 11 yeah from from here on out <laughs> like she is really panicky like scared I mean I, I I I'm always loath to use this word but she is hysterical she is she's a little annoying I'm just gonna say it she is she's a lot but she is but and so she was really annoyed that she, she was like oh, I wanted to turn out I thought it was turning out to play this like strong resourceful hero and I'm like me when like I was the, nine <laughs> yeah yeah and she's playing like this like completely like this raw nerve just shrieking in the corner <laughs> and um Ridley Scott was like you're the audience oh god <laughs> but actually it's it completely tracks because if I, that's I, I like to think I'd be Ripley or at least at least a Parker yeah tr- at least maybe try and get on with it but with like being visibly freaked out but no I would a hundred percent be Lambert I would be just constantly saying, why can't we just leave? Why can't, I, let's just go. This is ridiculous. Why? I don't care. I don't want to get paid. Let's just go home. <laughs> uh, just got to blow it out of the airlock. It's the only way to be sure. Exactly. Um, yeah, um, I feel that. I do. But again, I think this is just why I worship Sigourney Weaver and her performance in this movie, because I feel like there's something so understated about her authority when she sort of eventually takes charge of the situation, it doesn't, it's not like it lacks fear. It's not that it lacks urgency or anxiety. It's just, I am going to do my job to the best of my ability. I've been trained to be in space mining fuel. So that is, that is going to come with its, you know, sets of health and safety. This is new, but I'm going to just deploy my skill and my training and try and keep a level head because... Yeah, and follow protocol. And follow protocol, exactly. Yeah. And then she's undermined in that. And when she's undermined in that, shit hits the fan. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that comes later. We'll come to that. We'll come to that. But we're back on Um, this horrible moon. Uh, (laughs) Horrible moon. The alien has had something burst out of its chest. 
Lambert's like, let's get the hell out of here. Kane, played by John Hurt's like, oh, I wonder what's down that big hole. Oh my God, Kane. I'm going to spelunk down there with nothing <laughs> really, but a flashlight. Really ungracefully, I might add. I'm just going to like <laughs> yeah. kind of fall into this situation over here. Yeah, so he goes down the hole not knowing what's down there, how deep it is. It's like, oh, it's weirdly warm. And he finds uh, these these big yeah. giant eggs yeah. that, are, that could not look more evil. Yeah. They've got mist coming up the way from them and it's blue. It's blue mist and it's all, and they're all slimy and covered in white, thick, milky, mucus, viscousy, bleh. Yeah. They are just awful. And he yeah. puts so his he face what, near yeah. them. Well, yeah, and he's actually, he actually also goes to like, be like, oh, what's this gunk on the top? We'll just take that off. So he was yes. going to open the egg before it actually, and then it just starts to open anyway. Then he puts his face in it. I feel like if Ripley had gone with them to the moon, she'd be like, yeah. there's nothing in the handbook about this. Protocol states that you do not put your face near the weird mucusy egg thing. And like just every instinct in your body. She'd also say that, yes. Don't put your face on the weird egg yeah. in the dark that's been designed by HR Giger. Just yeah, just don't do it. Go home. Go home. Listen to Lambert, Lambert and Butler, and go home. Yeah. I just feel like that, yeah, it's just, oh, you have in your notes that you were today years old. I think you should, yeah, I feel like that's what's oh. pointing out. <laughs> yeah, I was, I saw the ship that they, so they, when they discover the ship, it's like this big sort of horseshoe shape. And I was Wednesday years old when I realized that that was the ship from Prometheus because I'm an alien dunce. That's okay. That and also, me. then I looked up and it's apparent, I, is it like it's not actually the same one it's the same model of ship but actually Prometheus which if you're not familiar with the franchise was a more recent film that was like a prequel to this film is actually set in a nearby planetoid yeah I think there was some I mean we're not going to go into this here because uh that would require a different podcast that film didn't commit as hard as it should have to its connections to this one. Yeah, because then I was like, oh, is it a straight? So I, I thought it was a sequel. And I was like, oh, this... and I remember watching Prometheus being like, oh, I don't like, I guess that must all be something that is a reference people get. We should get Kate Dickey on to talk about Prometheus. We should oh, totally we ask should. her to come on and get her to talk about being in it. And tell us what was going on. What happens. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm sure she'd be more than happy to do it. Oh, uh, can we? Let's just ask her. Let's ask her if she'll come on and chat about Prometheus. As long as she's happy for us to just be like, we're well, going to ask you lots, lots of questions <laughs> <laughs> related to the Aliens universe that you probably have absolutely no interest in. If she doesn't know, we don't care. But it's fine. We can also yeah. obviously cut out anything that she doesn't want in it. <laughs> <laughs> she's like, like, she's just like, I don't know. I thought it was really stupid. <laughs> yes. Just turned yeah. up to do the game. Or, I just like, turned up, took my big Hollywood paycheck, went home, don't care. Yeah. <laughs> just like, it's really, Alba. You, two are, you two are scaring me. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> don't call me. Yeah. Uh, let's find out if she's up for that experience. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yes. So moving on from the links to Prometheus, we'll cover that. So, yeah so, there's, yeah. so there's the big ship in Prometheus that falls on Charlie's Theron. Yes. But it's not that one. It's just one that looks like it. So actually, there's not any point in that ship falling on Louise Theron and Prometheus. No. Um, and it, it's all sort of like, that's retrofitted to the story that's being set up here. Yeah. So, yeah. 
Ridley Scott's kind of going and Prometheus going back and looking at what he made here and then sort of referencing it really more than directly connecting it. Explaining it, which (laughs) (laughs) it's sort of interesting because like what this sets up is that there is something that caused this ship to crash and it is now much like a virus being passed on to the Nostromo Mm. because John Hurt can't control his curiosity and his need to put his face near weird gooey eggs i mean um, it's like it's, i'm sorry like that egg is not sending you a signal i look i don't care if they're in the business of of whatever they're in the business of mining i don't know rocks space rocks or whatever the fuck it is they're, they're out there to do surely your space training regardless of whether you're looking for rocks or looking for alien life would tell you not to do that if you've got a quarantining protocol you probably have a looking at your whole face <laughs> in an egg protocol it's like John Hurt, you're the reason that we have to have quarantine protocol. Yeah. Like, this is, well, anyway, let's move on. Um, it's it's hundreds of years in the future. We know they have safety audits then because well, they have them now. Uh, yeah, it's just, everything is, everything, it's just like. Anyway. Very bad decisions. Very but that's a very horror movie of it, isn't it? Because that's like there being a killer in the house and running upstairs. Yeah, at least it's a guy doing it. At least it's a guy doing something stupid because the horror movie trope normally puts that on the women. So actually, yeah, Lambert's saying the sensible thing. Lambert's like, let's saying, let's get the fuck out of here while yeah. John Hurt makes out with a gooey space egg. Yeah, but it is, it's a jumpy scene because he just sort of looks in the egg and you can see something moving around because it's sort of like translucent. Yeah. And then it very suddenly, you just see it um, thwap onto his helmet and he falls back and then it just sort of zooms right back out. You're just looking at the ship and how like the, the crash ship that's been yeah. abandoned and like how alone they are really yeah and then we don't see them again until they appear back at the ship so we don't see them go and get him it's like they just turn up back at the shuttle yeah saying we need in well they, it well it, like sorry to just i just feel like i just because i'm such a, a loser i have i feel the need to point this out it, there is one more beat before it jumps on him and it's just this very very gentle unfurling of the oh of the yeah egg. it's like these it's like flower petals almost oh yeah which That's is a motif happened. they established at the start with the sleeping pods. The sleeping pods open like they're in a, they're in a row like a flower. The sleeping pods open like okay, uh, like like the petals of a flower. <laughs> Again, we could go into some really weird shit about how vaginal all of this looks and blah blah blah, but we won't go down that road. That is a road well explored that we don't need to. <laughs> no. Get into there's here. lots there's lots to read about that yeah and um yeah it just does this thing where it just very gently does it and then there's another beat it just sort of sits there for a second so that john hart can get a real good look at it <laughs> oh yeah and there's like something kind of wet and wet and flesh colored in it yeah and it's moving around and yeah so john hart goes in for a good old proper skeg yeah because yeah. why not it's not right. like <laughs> It's not like it's sure it's fine. <laughs> sure it's fine, and then this thing fucking flies out, and uh, you know, <laughs> qu- quite rightly so because that's what that's that's what it that's does. What you that's deserved what... that, John. Hart. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, you had no reason. You didn't know to expect it, but you had no reason to not expect it. Exactly. Like, what did you think was going to happen here? Like, you had that coming. Um, was best case scenario? Um, <laughs> was going to give him... idiot. He's gonna like present him with a latte or something like I don't know what he yeah. thought was gonna happen. Give us some kisses. <laughs> Silly man. Meanwhile, actually, back on the Nostro- back on the shuttle, sorry, Ash and Ripley are there and Ripley's asked Ash, who's the science officer, mm-hmm. if mother's managed to decode or tr- decipher the, si- the signal. Oh yeah. And he says no. 
and she's like well I'll have a go and mm-hmm. it doesn't take her too long to figure out it's like well it looks like a warning it doesn't look like a distress signal I should go tell them and he mm-hmm. says well by the time you get there they'll know if it's a warning or not so what's the point and he's like very it's the first we see of him being just like really dismissive yeah and sh- we see him being shifty before that yeah he's weird he's a weird yeah. guy yeah, he's shifty from the word go, and he really doesn't like Ripley. I think that's established yeah. from from the minute we see them interact at first. And I think my theory on this is that he knows as much as an AI can know, because he's a droid, an android, mm-hmm. not a droid, an android. But we don't know <laughs> this at this point. We don't know this at this point. And neither does anyone else, by the way, in the movie. Yeah. But he's smart enough to know that Ripley could get in the way yeah. because he knows that Ripley's very good at her job and very smart. Mm-hmm. And that's why he doesn't like her. Because she's a threat to his directive, basically, is my theory on that. Which just supports my uh, theory that, you know, even androids can't escape the patriarchy. Well, yeah. So, because he'll probably have, I don't know, maybe in theory he has access to her HR records and it'll be like, Ellen Ripley, strong rule follower, that kind of thing. Like, I don't know. He's he's got access to her casting brief, her character brief. (laughs) Or be like, it's just going to be like, he might know a bit about members of crew and how they're likely to behave. Yeah. Then also, I was thinking because he is quite dismissive and just outright aggressive with her. Well, very aggressive eventually, but he is just very just like, well, you just bugger off and leave yeah. me to do this, yeah, even yeah. when it's not his place to say that to her. Yeah. Um, I think it, it isn't unreasonable to see some of that behavior as sexist because he's been programmed by someone. Mm-hmm. So if sexism or misogyny still exists in a hundred years, which unfortunately probably will, then if he's been programmed in the way that he reacts to other people, yeah, then AI takes on biases. Yeah. which has been proven today in terms of things like Jonathan Van Nest in his podcasts Getting Curious he did one about techno chauvinism part of it was about how when we have new gadgets we test it on people but they're tested on e.g. white people mm-hmm. and so you have things like uh, I think the example they had was an automatic soap dispenser that didn't recognize darker skin wow so you've got you actually there are there's racist AI in our local pub bathrooms and <sighs> That's things like that's that. wild. So and AI you know, can take on the biases of its well, creators. Absolutely, um, that could be part of it as well. I mean, Ash is programmed here to fulfil the directive of the corporation that placed him on this ship for this purpose. So, well, I mean, I don't know. It's it's actually debatable whether or not it, that it was that far ahead if he was placed on there for this. Because, like, the question remains: Did the corporation know? that ultimately that's what this mission was for. Well, so it seems like they know that there's an organism. Mm -hmm. So why do they know that? Who knows? We don't know. We don't know. And maybe Prometheus would have told us, but it didn't. So, I think there's yeah there's like we won't go into it here because we're talking about yeah. alien but there are there are yeah. things in the alien franchise both from the movies themselves and from off you know sub content if you like that if you like that as a phrase it's sort of like you know graphic novels and fan fiction and all sorts of things both canon and and otherwise that have tried to explore this and this sort of general mythology is sort of starting to form that the Whale and Jutani Corporation were behind this all along kind of thing. Yeah. It was Agatha all along. And um yeah, but we don't need to get into that. No. Today. Basically we don't know. <laughs> we, we don't, don't know. know. Basically we don't we know. We don't know where this like presumably the signal's coming from the ship that's yeah. crashed and they've gone to investigate it and somehow the AI on the ship knows that there's something there or actually they have to go and investigate it and we don't necessarily know that Ash has a message from mother saying just bring this thing home but we don't know when he got it. So apparently 
According to, again, the Alien Anthology wiki, he was switched onto the Nostromo's roster by the company to oversee a specific retrieval Oh, yeah, two mission. days before. Yeah. Because Dallas says that to Ripley. All right, mm. we're skipping ahead. So anyway, Ripley wants to warn the others. Ash says, don't bother. Don't be, you know, don't get your panties in a twist. <laughs> And then Dallas and Lambert appear at the video doorbell and say, <laughs> and Ripley's like, where's Kane? And they say, oh, he's, something's on his face. Like, and everyone's she's like, like, ew. <laughs> ew, Kane. Gross. <laughs> Pretty much that sums it up. Stop doing that with your face. Ugh. So she says, well, what's on his face? And they said it was like an organism. And she's like, all right, well, you can't come in. She's like, ew, again. <laughs> no. Oh, God. Gross. No, you cannot come in. <laughs> she doesn't say that. People have seen the film. She is following protocol. She's saying She's if there's protocol. an alien on your face, you have to quarantine for 24 hours before you can come back in. Which I have and- to say, again, <laughs> is absolutely fair enough. Yeah. And they, she explains herself a couple times, saying, well, he's going to die out here if he doesn't get in. She's like, well, if he comes in, everyone else could die. <laughs> Which, got, spoiler alert, is exactly what happens. He's got an alien on his face. <laughs> that doesn't seem to be very friendly. <laughs> so, but then, so she's saying, no, you're not coming in. Dallas, whose captain says there's an order, but when he's not on the ship, she is the commanding officer because she's the third officer under him and Kane who are not on the shuttle. So she says, no, that the answer is negative. And then Ash opens the door. He sure fucking does. Mm-hmm. Like aggressively opens that door. He aggressively opens the door. Ugh. He has so many feelings for an android and all he of really them are does. really negative. <laughs> They're all directed at Ripley. Yeah. It's like, he he's like, if Ripley was in that space with him, he'd be looking her right in the eye and smacking that yeah. door release button. Yeah, whoever programmed Ash was going through a really toxic divorce. <laughs> yeah. So he, yeah, he aggressively opens the door, which is, you know, which is regrettable. And everyone's treating Ripley like she's a bit of a dick which, at this point. You know, I'm like... Well, it's not easy. It's not always easy to do the right thing. And then, so we go and we see, we go to the infirmary and Ash is looking at Kane. Everyone's wearing masks because they don't know if like, that's going to do them any fucking good. And but it will do us good, so everybody wear your mask. Everyone wear your mask. <laughs> also, <laughs> in the case about, of an yeah. alien parasite, your mask couldn't hurt either. Like, and even in this context. Well, yeah, but, I mean, he's wearing, Kane's been wearing a huge helmet. A huge, big, giant helmet, and the face hugger has melted through the yeah. helmet somehow yeah. onto his face. So they have to cut the helmet off around the face hugger. Mm-hmm. So your little, your little medical mask is. No, useless. give it but a go. You, also, you don't know what else is going on, so it's yeah. it's good. It's that safety protocol they follow. So they try. They kind of think about maybe trying to pull it off. It sort of tightens more, and it has like this little tentacle that tightens around Kane's neck. And then they think about uh, cutting it off. So Ash goes to like uh, make an incision on its one of its many legs. <laughs> and the blood is acid. The blood is acid. The blood is acid and melts right through the floor it to the sure next does. deck. And then through that floor to the next deck. And I think through that floor as well. Mm-hmm. So it sets the premise from the very start. It's like you don't want to be going at this thing with like knives, guns, you don't we're not we you know you're in this you're in space you can't afford to not have walls yeah walls anywhere. are walls are kind of key yeah yeah crucial. yeah this thing is 
I mean, you got to respect it. Piece of work. <laughs> the piece of work. So they just decide to just leave it. Which is and... fair. Again, I, that's probably the approach I would take to most <laughs> of this, really. Just leave it. Just go leave it. <laughs> yeah. They they kind of do like a bit of an x-ray thing and they can see that it's feeding Kane some oxygen. So mm-hmm. it's got something down his throat, which is gross. Yeah, it's real gross. And then one day, then it just comes off. Yeah, just falls off a bit like an old scab. And, you know, I should, I want to point out again that, like, throughout all of this, Ash is, he's performing his job, but he's still managing to do it in a really shifty way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's very, um, it tracks that he's, he doesn't, he wants to be cautious around it, but he's also very, like, eyebrow raisingly protective of it. It's like, he's quite excited by what he's doing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, And yeah, and then it falls off, and uh, and we get this great scene where Dallas and Ripley and Ash come down to the medical bay. Kane's not awake yet, but it has fallen off, if that's, if I'm remembering that correctly. Yeah, it's just dot on his face. Yeah. But he's Um, still kind of in a coma. Yeah, and so they're poking around the medical bay trying to find it. It's all very tense. And it seem, it, it falls out of a, an overhead container. <laughs> like, just falls. Falls on Ripley. She has a kind of comical yeah. little tussle with it. She has a real... And she does, like, a real scream as well. It's one of the great things about her because she is she is strong and she is super brave, but it's not... It's like that whole thing about, like, you know, courage isn't not being scared. It's, like, being really scared and doing the thing anyway. Mm-hmm. And, like, she is terrified. She's so freaked out. And then you see her looking and just, like, this tentacle appears. Yeah. So it kind of... We see it. We're aware of it maybe half a second before she has... And it's... It's disgusting. It's like if you haven't, it's so gross. Yeah, it's very primal. Again, it's this primal thing. It's like the yeah, the whole like penetrative nature of it. It's very it's very rapey. Like for want of a better expression, the whole yeah. thing about it is, and that's what it taps into. It taps into suffocation and penetration, and this whole this this thing yeah. of being consumed by it. It's just yeah, yeah, very violating. Very violating, and that's where that's where the fear of well, all of this, the, the entire concept of the movie comes from. Yeah, so it, it falls on Ripley, and she is you know understandably. She gets a fright. And then the next scene, I think, is Ash having a poke at it because he's fascinated Uh by it. And this is a a fun fact. You might know this. So if it's a Jackie's fact, we'll play your jingle. But um, when you see the the face hugger... play your jingle. (laughs) Well, you might know it. I mean, I might start saying it and you're like, I knew that. And if that's the case, then it's a Jackie's fact. The face hugger, once it's on its back and it's all it's all it's disgusting little flappy bits those are oysters it's still seafood and oysters to make it look oh is it yes it does look like that it is so it's so disgusting i actually take issue with people who say it looks like a vagina because it's just yeah no it's oysters i think the female body's beautiful beautiful. (laughs) so 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 Um, she has a conversation with ash where she she finds him in the medical bay he's still studying it and she's decided to have a little word with him about how he... Yeah, it's over... actually when it's... Still when it's on Kane, this Oh, that's right. You're right. It's still when it's on yeah. Kane. Yeah. He's just he's and, just monitoring it. Yeah. And she comes down very calmly, very professionally. Is like, hi, how are you? <laughs> <laughs> so, why'd you let them in? <laughs> Yeah, and she's uh, she's got that kind of like um, office space kind of vibe where she's sitting on the desk and she's like picking things up off his desk and like he's having to do that like don't. And touch he's that. like, don't touch that, don't touch <laughs> that. Yeah, 
she's got a kind of like uh she is inhabiting a kind of like intimidating slightly obnoxious boss kind of vibe yeah like i'm gonna make you talk to me even though i know that you don't and he's just so pissy yeah it's a great scene it sets up things for later in a really brilliant way and then i really think the next big beat is the is the scene putting it off yeah this is uh this is probably one of the most important scenes in cinema i yeah. think i say that so, a lot on this podcast but that's yeah. a lot of them but this is up there so we're an hour into the film alien and <laughs> john hurt's been in a coma with things stuck to his face now and now it's off his face and it's dead and he's up so everything's fine mm-hmm. and he's got i think what he's got is a druth and a bit of a hangover, hungry. He's yeah, he's got yeah. he's got like I need to eat something. What is he's, he's after the leftover pizza or a rolling tatty scone or whatever's on the go he needs. Yeah. And uh, there's this great interaction that Ripley is very tactful, but kind of wanting to know what's the last thing you remember. And mm. he doesn't remember what happened, but he does have these dreams of being smothered. Mm-hmm. Which is, I think, just really interesting, just in terms of like giving us a little bit of detail and texture to the experience. I just think that's quite yeah. interesting. And so we head upstairs for some scran. Mm-hmm. It's just great fun. Everyone's teasing him and giving him like a bit yeah, of it's like everyone's, Yeah, and everyone's getting along for the first time because nobody's grumbling. Everyone's just a bit relieved. Mm-hmm. Everyone's just glad he's okay. It's over. We've done what we were supposed to do now. We can just go back to sleep. And go home. And nice. so this is like their last, su- this is their last dinner before they're asleep for 10 months. Yeah. Essentially. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, nobody's really focusing on the ins and outs of what happened, like why they had to go and find this thing and what was the point? Because everyone's just so relieved that Kane is awake and they can get back on track. And then Kane doesn't feel so good. He's eating his food and then he starts to cough and Parker's given him a sort of gentle pat on the pat in the back and saying, "Oh, is that you know you're scratching your food too quickly, mate? Like take it easy." Oh, he there. Said, and... said the food's not that bad. <laughs> yeah, um, but then it gets worse. It gets steadily worse. Gets real bad. He starts to sort of spasm and fit and scream, and they think he's having a seizure because he falls or he gets up, but then falls backwards onto his back onto the table. Mm-hmm. There's things being knocked off. Everyone's freaking out. They think it's a seizure because they're trying to. They're trying to force yeah, Parker's a, got like a, like a utensil that he's trying to put between his teeth. Yeah, yeah. They, they're going with sort of seizure first aid kind of stuff. And they're trying to hold him down, but he's thrashing really wildly. And he thrashes and he thrashes. And then there's this beat where he stops. And then there's this cracking sound. And then his pure white T-shirt, just this this blood suddenly blooms in the middle of it. Mm-hmm. And then it's, everything stops. Even Kane. It's just this moment of he's yeah. like in paralysis as something is broken inside of him, and everyone yeah. is frozen because they're like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then he continues to like he thrashes again. He's in basically the throes of death, and then suddenly this this the this bl- the blood flies up out of his chest, and this thing bursts out of him, and it's. <laughs> And it just like looks at them for a little bit. And it looks at them for a little bit. They all kind of like, I think Lambert's understandably having a really horrible time making lots of noise and Parker's about to go at it. Yeah. Oh my God. Oh my God. (laughs) Reasonable, reasonable reaction. 
we're not making fun of Lambert. She's it's reasonable. It's also not just Lambert's reaction, it's Veronica's reaction. Yeah. Because oh, because yes. They didn't know this was going to happen, which 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 makes the scene even more visceral. Because what happened was they performed the scene, they did the dinner scene, and then they were like, right, okay, uh, John's gonna get ill in a minute, so we want you all to go up the stairs, we're gonna prep John for something. So they all went, they were all taken off set and they prepped it. So they, I think they must have done the scene up until they put John down. Mm-hmm. And then everyone's everyone's brought off set and then they basically replace part of John with an animatronic and he's got his head up through the table. So they know that part of John is an animatronic now, but they just, they don't know what's about to happen. Then they continue the scene and the thing bursts out of John and, and Veronica, who plays Lambert, gets splashed in the blood unexpectedly. That, that was not rehearsed. So that, that, oh my God, is very real. <laughs> That's Ronnie. Yeah, it's just, it's absolutely tremendous stuff. Like part of me, like one half of me is like, you really probably shouldn't do that to actors. But at the same time, I'm like, God, that's brilliant. <laughs> it's yeah. Just... I think Ridley Scott was a bit of a nightmare director on this. They were all working super long hours and apparently made them work overnight, even though there was no need to do that. Yeah. And uh, he also carried a gun with which had blanks, and he would just shoot it. Yeah, I've heard at, that at regular intervals to keep them on edge. Yeah, nah. Yeah, nah. Speaking of someone who would not we, like well, that to happen, we were saying James Cameron in our last episode. Like, can we just? Yeah, I don't get people to act. <laughs> I don't. I don't play into that. I don't buy into it. I think it's bullshit. I think it's a, a whole ego-based pile of crap um yeah. actors are there because they are capable of doing a job without being shot at or in the direction of it's yeah it's just not necessary but the result of this the result of the not knowing i have to say did pay off because it is it's is just a phenomenal scene and everyone it's it kind of appears and it, I, I would probably say the baby xenomorph coming out is probably the only thing that looks a little bit lame just a tiny fraction it kinda, yeah it's it's it, when it comes out and um also it's little skitter away it's he's getting away <laughs> again is, is is the worst bit it's okay. still and it's like it, this was 1979 this film is amazing and it looks absolutely fantastic but it's a little bit muppety it is a wee bit muppety and i can't separate the scene from space balls have you seen space balls Yes, when it comes out, and it's John Hurt has a cameo. He has a cameo, end. yeah. And, uh, and it comes out and does his, his, uh, a dance. Yeah. Hello, my baby. Hello, my darling. Hello, my ragtime gal. That's what it does. Yeah. So now I can't not hear that whenever I see it. So it's slightly ruined it for me. It's the only it's, thing in it that looks a wee bit silly. Yeah. And even, even the Xenomorph later, when it's all grown up and it is a guy in a suit, because we this movie didn't only use practical effects, even the Xenomorph guy in a suit is passable when you see when because they don't show him there very much yeah they don't show him very much but this is yeah it just looks a teeny bit and you're right it is the skitter away it is the like yeah it's like it was like oh but parker's about to go at it with like a knife or something and ash shouts at him no and you're like well is that protective but also we know it's acid we know it's blood is acid yeah so So you also don't necessarily want that splashing about no everything but you could hit it with a broom or something has anybody got a broom or a fucking a tree yeah. <laughs> like hit it with something yeah hit it while it's small yes please oh god and uh, yeah so it's yeah when it pops out it's everything kind of goes quiet you just hear that there's a heartbeat um in the sound design that you hear again and again and it, and it becomes more present every time there's danger or when the xenomorph is around and you hear the mm. beat 
of the heart, which also kind of I feel times with the last sort of pulse of blood that's coming from John Hurt as he dies. And you've also got in the kind of bottom corner of the frame his hand and his fingers twitching, like doing that. And it's just Yeah. It's very visceral. Even with yeah, I noticed the hand twitchings on my on my yeah. second watch because they're kind of they're almost like a little bit out of focus, but you can see them both just both of his yeah. hands kind of like seizing. It's, I think um, yeah, this was quite shocking for the audience on a number of levels, but I think it was also because John Hurt was quite he was the, he was the well Kent face I think in this movie mm. because everyone else is apart from maybe Ian Holm I think he might have had a wee bit of a career sort of enough enough to be a Kent face, but I think John Hurt was the guy. So when in addition to it being generally shocking um, yeah. because nobody was nobody was seeing that coming, I think killing him off as well was like oh well God there he, well he's gone. So I think it was. Like yeah. a very clear signal to the audience that from this point onwards, no holds barred. Uh, we're on a we're on a ride now, guys. Yeah, no one's safe. Yeah, did <laughs> they are not? Whew. Sorry, I feel uh, like uh, just need a minute. Yeah. So then they they hatch a scheme to get a hold of this thing. Mm-hmm. Go looking for it, and they've got like a motion sensor in place, so they're all in one place, and they go and find whatever sent off this motion sensor, and they find Jones. The cat who's been hiding sensibly. Sensible um, cat. So Ripley and Parker are looking, so they decide to like continue on where they were going, and they send Brett, played by Harry Dean Stanton, to look for the cat. I believe you have some feelings about this scene, please. I do love this so much. It is my, it is my favorite scene in the movie because this is this is where we get into the territory of this being a perfectly well-made movie because this is perfect tension building and it's it mm-hmm. uses everything it uses the character it uses the situation it uses horror it uses sci-fi it uses production design composition it's so brilliant and it does this thing it does that horror movie thing where you get an you get an initial scare and you're like oh, oh it's the cat and then it's like you calm down again and then Harry Dean Stanton moves into that space which I think it's a cooling space for some equipment and it's got all the chains hanging down yeah it's like raining for it's, some reason it's raining yeah I, pres- I I'm guessing that the whatever is in this space has got something to do with engines or fuel or whatever it is that propels the Nostromo. Mm-hmm. So there's there's coolant or something. Something is happening in this space to keep things cool. I'm guessing, and that's what is it's condensation, and it's probably there's probably tanks of water in there and coolant and that's what's happening and that's why it's raining it looks and it's stunning because it does look like it's raining because he looks up and then there's just this kind of square of light so it kind of looks like it's up in the sky we almost feel like we're outside um and it's and these long black chains are all slicked with water so they look very shiny and they look very um they, they look like the xenomorph which is fabulous because the xenomorph is hanging in there with them, but you don't see it right away. And yeah, and there's a little bit of foreshadowing leading up to that because what Harry Dean Stanton finds, he finds the initial skin that's been shed by the xenomorph. So yeah. what that does is it communicates to the audience that it's growing. If you're paying enough attention, it's saying, well, it's shed its skin, so it's getting bigger. Uh, yeah. We don't know how much bigger yet. Quite quickly, it gets very big very quickly. Yeah. And because he's going to look for the cat, the cat serves as a really brilliant device. The cat becomes us in, at certain points. So we see mm-hmm. things via the cat's perspective at one point and then it switches back so that we get Jonesy the cat looking at what, what's what's happening over Harry Dean Stanton's shoulder, which is the xenomorph dropping silently down from these chains. Yeah. <laughs> Are you okay? No. <laughs> and then 
it's so scary it's so scary it's 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 the scariest i think it might be the scariest bit in the movie because then yeah so we see the cat it's hissing its hackles are up it's backing away harry dean stunt doesn't know why initially then he turns around and this thing is there and it's all we see it in its full glory like well we see its head we don't get like a full length which is fine because we've seen it we've seen it hanging slowly from the chains and then when it drops so you're getting a sense of scale and it's very pissed off and it does the lip draw thing and it's it's absolutely soaking everything's soaking like and like yeah it, it, the whole scene is wet so it feels <laughs> it, it just it just gives you this feeling i don't i can't really quite describe it and then we he, it, it attacks harry and Stanton. we don't quite see what happens but we see a splatter of blood and we see Jonesy, cuts to Jonesy again, and he's sort of framed in a spotlight. And we yeah. hear Harry Dean Stanton and we see a silhouette and we hear him dying. And it's just like, it's it just gives me such a cinema lady boner that I can't even cope. <laughs> <laughs> it's really good. It's a really good scene. Um, and I think we also get some, at that point, quite well needed. Um, in the While he's looking for Jones, we, you get a little bit of endearing him looking for Jones endears you to him a little mm-hmm. bit more than you've been endeared to him at this point because he's just either like grumbling about money or being cheap, cheeky to Ripley or just kind of being a bit checked out and just like I, I just can't bother doing this just want to go home yeah so which is fine and it's understandable but you get him being just a little bit silly when he's looking for Jones and he's like here kitty 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 yeah um, Oh, and he has that to look for cats. That moment where he walks into that space, and just the way it's shot as well, like because he, as he approaches that space with all the chains, the camera kind of walks towards this narrow space with large bits of machinery on either side. So it's like this this framing of it as he walks into it is very it's very grand. And then when he's in there, he has a moment where he takes off his cap and he looks up and he lets the water mm-hmm. fall on his face. And he has this like he has a wee moment to himself, and he's very he's just he's a wee bit of you can you can sense the exhaustion, and maybe they've not showered in a while, and he wipes his face with the water, and he really enjoys it. It's very human, yeah, and it it just adds this extra layer to what's about to happen, and I just think I think it's 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 breathtaking actually. I'm just gonna say it. I I think it's really gorgeous filmmaking. So yeah, so I did have thoughts on that. You're quite right. Yeah. I don't know a cat who's ever responded to hear Kitty Kitty in a positive way. You need treats for the cat to like you. Mm. And happen to be in the mood for you at that specific time. Because otherwise they'll just stay. They'll just stay, stay right there. Well, I mean, I don't think, it, I, I mean, to be honest, I don't think it was it was the hear Kitty Kitty that was really. No, uh, I think it was least of Jones's worries. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, at that point. Um, so that happens. So then Brett's obviously gone. And then they're saying, right, well, what we do now. And then, so they figure out from the way that it's kind of implied that Ripley and Parker saw the alien take Brett up into the air vents. Mm. Yeah, it is, isn't it? And I don't actually think you get that from the scene, but yeah. You don't yeah. get it at all. You don't even get them like running towards it, but they're they're back in like the kind of mess hall. Yeah. And Ripley saying he they took him up into the vents. Mm-hmm. So for whatever reason, they know he's up there. So Dallas says, well, well, let's keep him up there and we'll corner him and then we'll get him into a specific part of the ship and blow him out into space. So he decides he's going to go into this hatch, which is too small to run in with a flamethrower. Yeah. And it's... It's another iconic scene. <laughs> it's not a good idea. It's not, it's not. I don't know, what, but there isn't a better one on the table as we, as we know. No. Lambert is, you know, it's not a bad idea that Lambert presents. I can't remember if it's before or after. I think it might be after 
which is in the same vein as uh, let's just get out of here. I think that's which, after Dallas. That's after Dallas. Dallas goes into the air vents. Goes in the air vents. Yeah, because that yeah, because that can only really end one way. Yeah. Uh, don't put yourself in the confined space with the organism you don't understand that bleeds oh, acid. Thank you. And has already killed two of your crew members. No, thank you. And Ripley says that she'll go in. He says, no, you won't. I'm going in. Very heroic of him to go. Yeah, it's another very iconic scene that's very stressful. <laughs> Although it does have the jazz hands xenomorph, which I know is meant to be scary, but kind of makes me laugh a little bit. It's a bit silly. That's the second silliest bit of the film. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hi! <laughs> Yeah, it's a little, it's a little silly, but it is, it is very well done. Again, it's all about building tension. This is what this movie does really well. We do not need to see it to be afraid of it. And you only see it for a half second. Half a second, yeah, just yeah. enough to give us a. Yeah, um, but he's in there. Yeah, he's in there looking for it, and then they kind of lose the signal, and he's getting them to shut all the doors behind him so that the space is getting smaller and smaller. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then they lose the signal, and then the signal is heading back to him suddenly, very quickly, but he can't see it. Yeah, Until Veronica slash Lambert is giving us her usual like, get out of there! He's, just, he's right on top of you! Like, there's a lot of that action going on. She's so good at it. She's really she's good at so it. She's so good. <laughs> and she's still doing her job. You know, she's terrified, but she's doing her job. Like, you know, she's let's be fair here. She's, she's getting just, on with it. She's just, it's a very, it's very scary. It's very scary. I can barely get myself to watch it. If I'd, I would 100% have been uh, on a scale of one to Lambert, I would have been Lambert. <laughs> yeah, Dallas does not make it back out of the air vent. I feel like mm. that goes without saying. And he also just disappears without a trace. Yeah, which is key. We don't know that's key it until later. Key. But like the fact yeah. that there are no bodies apart from John Hurt, uh, whose whose body gets blasted out into space in a really unceremonious way, which I also really like about this movie because in so many other sci-fi movies you have moments where people's bodies are put into space with flags draped over them and it's very slow and it drifts out into the vacuum of space but like they just fire it out like it's, yeah, like, it's just like boom and it's just yeah. like it just just starts spiraling off uh, yeah I think speed. Dallas asks if anyone has anything to say but everyone's just like way too depressed yeah just yeah it's like, very no. it's very depressing it's just so bleak very bleak so but yes apart from John Hart nobody's body has been recovered everyone's disappeared mm-hmm. which uh, again actually you wouldn't notice on first viewing I think yes because you know yeah. you're too busy shitting yourself so so you know you wouldn't necessarily notice that you just yeah you're just kind of like oh well, maybe we'll figure that out at some point yeah which you don't in the non-director's cut it's not explained so this is interesting to me because I can't remember the theatrical release well at all because I always watch the director's cut so you'll need to you'll need to confirm that then so the the scene later on where she finds so, yeah, them so th- it's not in the theatrical release. That can't be right. Is that right? No, it's right. Wow. So I've watched it. It's not in there because I was, um, when I watched it on Wednesday, I was kind of watching it with like the IMDb synopsis with me because I was writing notes. So I was, there were bits where I kind of lost track of what was going on. It's another reason why I watched it twice. But I was just trying to make sure I wasn't missing something important. Mm-hmm. And then it mentioned, it gets to that scene. And I was like, oh, that scene doesn't, doesn't happen. That's so interesting because it feels so integral actually yeah it does because it because it's without the scene that we're talking about it doesn't so basically at some point in the later in the film ripley's running about and she comes across dallas who's kind of like in this kind of like strange like slime web he's like he's all on on the wall yeah that's right it's a cocoon he's he's in a little cocoon he's having a horrible time and he begs her to kill him and like to the side of him is an egg shape 
mm-hmm. an egg shaped thing and he's and he's basically says like that was brett so brett's turned into an egg presumably mm-hmm. with a face hugger in it so she incinerates dallas and egg brett because it, it is it is juxtaposed to the deaths of lambert and parker later on where their very bloody bodies are found um, but that's not in the scene. And one of the reasons why, well, there was an argument that without that, with that scene in it, it negates the need for the the alien queen in Aliens. I see. Because without, because if if they don't need her to lay eggs, then because like if if basically like a drone can be born from a face hugger mm-hmm. and turn whatever organism it finds into another egg with face huggers in it, then what do they need a queen for? That's a very good point. That never occurred to me. I think partly because I, whenever I watch that scene, I kind of. I don't think I've ever fully uh, paid attention to Brett actually and what was happening with Brett and that he was basically being used as a host to create more egg sacs. Mm-hmm. I've just been operating on the assumption that the scene is vital, but that might be because I'm watching it now through the eyes of someone who has the entire franchise in their head rather than yeah, just so, watching yeah. the movie for what the movie is. Which is what I was doing because I don't know the I don't know the franchise really well enough. Right. Um, like basically, if I watch Star Wars, I don't know. There is, I probably know twenty percent of the Star Wars universe really, but I know the first three films really well. So any Easter eggs that I need to know, I would know. Mm-hmm. As far as my favorite films of that would go, but there's so much around Alien that I'm just, I'm just, I'm really barely familiar with the main films. Less so with Aliens that I've seen more times, but even then, it's like it's a film I really like. It's never been a film I've watched over and over again because it's so fucking scary. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that actually. If you got rid of this, that scene, I guess there is a very unimportant question mark around the where did the bodies go? But I suppose you're like, well, who cares? <laughs> like it doesn't really matter. Yeah. It's like, well, there's there's not really time to explore the whole ship and find them. So maybe yeah. maybe the alien just ate them. Yeah, it's unimportant. I think it's unimportant really. Yeah. And if you are them in the ship, it's like kind of like, well, the urgency is not really to find their bodies. The urgency is to kill this thing and like, hopefully make it alive. Away. Yeah. yeah. So yes, um, that's fair. And I, I guess we'll I have thoughts about the Dallas scene, but we'll come to that, I suppose, because we're we're moving yeah. some what chronologically so Dallas has disappeared into the uh air vents yeah and Sigourney is now in charge or Ripley is is. in charge and everybody's having a bit of a panic and Parker's a little bit like well this is what we're gonna do everyone's talking over and that's the first time that she loses her temper a little bit and just Mm -hmm. says we just shut up and listen to me this is what we're gonna do unless you have a better idea we're gonna carry on with the plan we'll go in pairs in the meantime I'm in charge now which means I can talk to mother I'm gonna find out what's happening so she does yep she asserts her authority this is good she does it really well and she, and Parker takes it quite well he's just like yeah okay Parker's kind of great Parker has a lot of really great lines he has a lot of really grounding moments he has a very reasonable voice he kind of gets what's going on like yeah Parker's interesting he doesn't challenge Ripley's authority particularly. He he mm-hmm. gets what she's saying. He's yeah, he's a very reasonable, logical person. Like I feel like he's an interesting character for that. Yeah, he's still a bit annoyed in that scene because he has to go and refill the flamethrower and Ripley says Ash go with him and he's just like, No, don't yeah. follow me. I need to go kill down. But I think everyone is completely within their rights to be super stressed out at this point. Um, but yeah, he's a really good character played by Yafet Koto who unfortunately died two months ago. He did, um, which is very sad. He did. Uh, I actually listened to an interview with him today. He's an interesting character. Ooh, okay. He's had a really interesting life. He grew up in the Bronx. His dad was from Cameroon, 
I think, and uh, but it was also Jewish. So he oh, was right. okay. a, a Jewish black kid growing up in the Bronx. Wow. So he's he's just uh, has interesting viewpoints on things, and is he was just in Hollywood for such a long time. Um, but he got a bit of a reputation for being quite difficult because okay. when he did Live and Let Die, which was a few years before this film, somebody who was working the film was trying to get him to say that, was trying to get him to say things that were anti-American. And he was of the view that he was not at a disadvantage from being a black man in America. Interesting. Which is interesting. And I, I, I'm glad he didn't feel yeah no I'm glad he didn't feel that way but I'm glad that he was having a nice time yeah, yeah I would um, be I would be I would love to sit and have a, a drink with him and have him contextualize that for me just it was, it was like, interesting to, to hear what he had to say that's very interesting yeah but he also talks about sets where he was the only black man in the cast and was made to stay in a shit motel while everyone else was in a hotel while things got sorted out so it's a really he's a character but he has a lot to say and he had a reputation as difficult because he wouldn't necessarily do the thing he wouldn't necessarily say the thing that was going to be the right thing for his career at the time Hmm. And it was a little bit like what I've heard about Hattie McDaniel. She won the Best Sporting Actress Oscar for Gone with the Wind. And she was a controversial figure amongst, I guess, the Black American community because she was benefiting from stereotypes, okay, arguably. Yeah. So, I don't know, I can't judge anybody who's... Well, yeah, I, I know, that, judge, but it's interesting. I, I'm not it's from the... Um, yeah. Interesting. So it, that kind of idea of like, well, Hollywood's working for me, so I'm going to... Yeah. I'm, but I'm still... But, he he viewed it from a certain perspective, which was his own, and that's totally valid yeah. and fine. And he did so with integrity as well. Like it, it wasn't I'm going to say this because it benefits me. It was actually what he believed. Yeah, and that's um, and actually that harmed his career because he got a reputation as being difficult. Because just like because if the promoters wanted him to be a certain way, he wouldn't necessarily do it. They wanted him to be living some form of trauma that he refused to live. Basically. Well, yeah, there was a film he was in. I can't remember what it was because the interview jumps around a lot, and they talk about people in old Hollywood who I didn't know who they were and films I haven't seen so it's really hard to keep track but it was talking about there's a film he's in where he shoots a white man in the street and it was maybe the first time that that had been done in cinema at that point because it was like the 70s and they had the director had basically said like you need to be crying and be really afraid and he said I'm not going to do that I'm going to do this completely emotionless and because black people have seen black men on screen being afraid and crying plenty and if somebody was trying to hurt me so basically it was like the emotion is going to come after mm-hmm. and that turned out to be the right thing to do and so he had integrity and it was a really interesting man so i will put the Excellent. i will put the interview up yeah pop that in the show notes because that does sound interesting yeah so the next scene we get a bit more ash and ripley tension mm-hmm. to say the least to say the least yeah so this is the moment basically to cut a long story short <laughs> that Ripley decides to go have a chat with Mother because she's been a little bit cheesed off that Ash at this point, has, I think, is the only person that's been talking to Mother and has had access to Mother. Yeah. And uh, she goes to have a chat and has to override a few bits and bobs and then discovers that there has been corporate motivation for the whole thing. Yeah. It wasn't an accident. They didn't get blown off course by a distress signal or otherwise or whatever. It wasn't happenstance they were sent there intentionally yeah she gets like a bit of a firewall which says like the the orders are for science officers eyes only Mm -hmm. and so she overrides that and then it says priority one ensure return of organism for analysis all other considerations secondary crew expendable yep and then it kind of 
turns to the side of her face and then you see Ash's face mm-hmm. looking in, looking quite mischievous. There is an explanation, you know. Yeah. And so she throws him against the wall. This is the first time we see her really, she's panicking. Yeah, she's freaking out. Yeah. Her ability to stay calm up until this point has been rooted in protocol. Like, do the job. Yeah. Do the job the way that they have trained me to do it and it will be fine. Keep a yeah. level head. <laughs> But this is too much. This goes against, this is like, oh, wait, hang on. The, the environment to which I have trusted myself doesn't view me as human. It's, I am, it's, that's it. It's out to get me, essentially. I've just discovered the protocols are not designed to protect me. Yeah, so that just, just flips a switch and she starts to panic, which makes total sense. Mm-hmm. And then she and Ash have a little little tussle because she's yeah. off to try and like tell everybody what's going on. She, I think she I think she's off to try and find Parker and um Parker and Lambert to tell them what's happening and uh, Ash shuts the the doors yeah. compartments of the ship so she can't leave. And they have a little tussle and he it, in 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 the course of this fight scene between the two of them it emerges that he is ridiculously strong like inhumanly strong. At first when he first surprises her in like the mother room she throws him against the wall and he's kind of hit his head or something. Because we see, we get the we get the first, I guess, like the clue that he's an android. Because we see, like, he's got like milky, yeah, blood. yeah. And and Ian Holmes switches into phenomenal. I'm an android acting. It's so creepy it's the brilliant. way he does it. It's so chillingly creepy, and it's not even creepy. I'm devoid of human emotion because there's like rage in it. There's something, yeah. There's something there. Yeah. And then the way he he throws Ripley onto like a bench or something like somebody's relaxation station I think it's covered in girly mags and pictures of pinups and she's lying there and the shot frames are surrounded by these and then he picks a a girly mag up and he rolls it into a really tight cylinder and then shoves it in her mouth and tries to suffocate her by pushing the, the magazine down into her mouth I didn't so as I, I I appreciate that that is an effect it's effective imagery. Why does he not just strangle her with his super strength? Well, or this, break her neck? this is where the, your earlier point about AI taking on traits from the programmer. Yeah, because there's something really like there's so violent, and violent. Like any 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 yeah. woman watching this scene is going to know what we're talking about here. There's something really, and it feels so deliberate that it's a girly mag and the way it's framed. It's just like he wants to. I was about to say he wants to fuck her, and that's what it feels like. It's like it's like this really primal kind of like I'm going to mm-hmm. shove this phallic thing into your face and until you die. Like it's really like sorry, that's really awfully graphic sounding, but is that is what is happening in this scene? It is a graphic scene though. It's horrendous. It's really like it really like oh I'm sweating. It does something to me. It like makes me really like uncomfortable and and anxious. It's horrible. It's and it's not just about the fact that she can't breathe. It's the way she's reacting. It's the sounds that she's making because this thing is in her mouth it's just really and it mirrors the penetrative nature of the alien itself and the face hugger and it's all just mm-hmm. very well designed like it's designed as a scene shot by shot decision by decision mm-hmm. or it feels like that anyway so yeah I feel like I totally hear what you're saying but I think that's I think that's the reason for that is that there is a misogyny and a kind of irritation in Ash that she and just like I'm finally gonna get rid of you and I yeah I really want to just just want to take some time over it almost yeah a little bit yeah like yeah it's almost like he has and 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 particularly off the back of the discovery being that she's gone in and overrid 
overridden, overrode his overridden, yeah, overridden his science officer. I don't know jurisdiction with mother. Yeah, and so there's another thing. It's like undermining him, and... which he clearly suspected that she was going to do because he has followed her mm-hmm. into the room. So it's just it feels like the culmination of this tension-filled dance they've been doing throughout the whole movie. Mm-hmm. And it's visceral and horrendous, and I hate it. And then Parker comes in, thank God. <laughs> yeah, good old Parker. Yeah. Ash gives him a purple nurple. He does. <laughs> he does, yeah. But he um, comes back and he hits him in the face. His he does. Head, his head falls off, kind of hangs off for a bit. But he ain't dead. No, they manage to sort of bash him a bit in the head and then sort of, he starts to sort of flail uh, and spin because it's like robot panic. Um, well, it's the noises he makes as well. He's making these really like squealy, weird noises that are really unsettling and gross. Yeah. <laughs> like they're kind of creature noises that he's yeah, making. It's very intense. And then we get Lambert's there just to scream. Yeah, Lambert's there just to scream. Oh my god! Oh my god! <laughs> Fair enough. Oh my god! <laughs> Not a criticism. Uh... <laughs> Reasonable. So yes, maybe this is the point at which we could kind of return to the idea that, because we talked earlier about Ash having been switched onto the roster for the Nostromo like two days before they were due to go out. Yeah. So uh, there is there is something, again, we don't know this because the movie doesn't go into this in, in, in great detail, but there is something about the corporation knowing in advance of the, the Nostromo leaving on its mission that actually visiting LV-426 was always part of the plan. Yeah. But that shall that shall not get fully explored until later in the no. franchise, not in the movie. Mm. <laughs> I should probably watch, I should really watch some of the other films. <laughs> well, like, to be honest, it doesn't really get fully explored until Prometheus, yeah. to be honest. Yeah, it's, it's worth knowing. Like, da- so we know that Ash got put on two days before, but Dallas says to Ripley earlier in the film that he'd, he, he'd had the same science officer for five missions mm-hmm. until this one, when Ash was switched out two days before. And he doesn't seem too bothered about it. Ripley says she doesn't trust him and he says I don't trust anyone mm-hmm. but he's obviously read that message from mother the first message saying for science officers eyes only and just gone okay yeah yeah potentially yeah following protocol only to get shafted by it so we get this scene where they um have discovered that Ash is an android they're like what the fuck and they try and get his head going again yeah <laughs> so his head's come off and uh and it's all kind of Christmas decorations and yogurt, because um, it's just you know what I mean. It's all weird and yeah. it's all weird inside, and so they they kind of hotwire him to get him going again, and then sit his head on the table. And there's this great cut. You can see the cut happen from when it goes from like yeah. a prosthetic to Ian Holm with his head yeah. to the table. And I really res- it's like proper. It's like special effects. Yeah, I like it a lot. And it's not a computer. It's props and camera trickery. And you know, you can see what they do, but they, it's really well done. It is really well done. I, I mean, I can see, I can see where the cut is, and I can see where I yeah. would have made it. Listen to me, I would have made a slightly different decision, Ridley Scott. But, uh, but <laughs> <Next>. <laughs> like next time, Sunny. <laughs> you should have called me, boy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I love it. I love. It. I will take practical effects <laughs> and, and and slightly shonky cuts any day over CGI. I just will. It's just it's just yeah. so good. It, like it just works. It Even works yeah, it, it takes you out of it less than CGI. Like obviously, great CGI is great, but like noticeable CGI is so much worse than noticeable 
practical tricks, I think. Yeah. And then we get this oddly, oddly lovely scene where... Lovely? Yeah, lovely. It's sort of... Maybe lovely is not the word. I mean, it's sort of... There's something about this scene that I find... (sighs) What is the word I'm looking for? You can think it's lovely. I didn't mean to disparage your feelings. <laughs> but I don't mean lovely as in like kittens and rainbows are lovely. I sort of mean it's 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 sort of poignant. I think maybe okay. that's what I mean. Okay, yeah, I see what you mean. Um, I'm sorry, I was being glib. <laughs> it's quite all right. Yeah, it's sort of like they get them they get them going again and they and they quiz him and he explains what's he, he gives them the context for what Ripley's already found out via mother. And we get this exchange that he thinks it's the perfect organism and Ripley sort of says, you admire it. And he says, I admire its purity. Mm-hmm. And, the, and then this is where I think it's kind of poignant because what I think he's saying here, he says, I admire its purity. And he signs off by saying, basically saying, I don't fancy your chances, but if you had one, here's what you should do. And I wish you best of luck. There's, there's something about a sudden moment of humanity in this speech. Uh... I had him as having admiration for the xenomorph because he says that thing about its structural perfection is matched only by its hostility and the whole thing like unclouded by yeah. compassion and something. About, yeah. And then she's just like, all right, goodbye. <laughs> and then he says, oh, can I have a last word? Does she not say you, you respect it or you admire it? And he says, I admire yeah, his like, purity. Yeah. Uh, his last word, he says, can I have a last word? And she leaves him for a sec and he says... I can't lie to you about your chances. Mm-hmm. And then he smiles really creepily and says, but you have my sympathies. And then Parker's, this is like, I don't want to hear this anymore. Parker's just sitting there looking so scared, so sad. And it's just like, can you please just turn him off? And that, and that's actually when, that's actually right before Ash says that really creepy, weird thing. And then when he says, you have my sympathies and does that weird smile, that's when Ripley can just like shoves his head over so he gets disconnected again. And then Parker sets him on fire. Yeah, I, but I don't interpret that as um, creepy. Oh, I took it as creepy. I interpreted this whole scene as like when he talks about it being unclouded by human emotion. Mm-hmm. I feel like... For me, this is the way I interpret this scene. I feel like he, as an android, is unclouded by human emotion, but he's also not. And then this, this, the the, the seed that's planted here gets borne out in Aliens with um, Bishop. Bishop, thank you, because Bishop does have feelings. Bishop has humanity in some ways. Yeah. And I feel like what the seed that's been planted here is, which is like a whole facets of sci-fi explore, which is when you have an AI of some kind, it can't help but like the, the philosophical question about when, what when, when, like, yeah. yeah, what am I? Who am I? What do? What's my purpose? And he's around these people. He has had a reaction to Ripley. He's had a reaction to all of them. I've sort of interpreted it as I admire its purity because it's not clouded by this. Even I have been clouded by human emotion. And Is that, could that be why, sorry, finish your <laughs> the, the, the sort of conclusion to the thought is that in his last moments, he's like, I, be, I, I think he's sincere. He's, he's being honest with him. He's like, you don't have great chances, but I wish you the best. Like you have my, I don't think it's a creepy smile. I think it's like human smile here. So I'm going to- Encourage, I'm going to be encouraging I'm now. going to be encouraging now. <laughs> yeah, like I genuinely think that's it. I think there's a moment of like, this is shit. And um, you're probably not going to make it out, but I really hope you do. I don't know. That's how I interpret that whole scene, because I think it's planting the seed for what Bishop becomes in Aliens. That's really interesting. I have a different take, um, which 
I'm not saying is, is, is more correct. It's just a different take, which is that... I have a different take. I have the right one. <laughs> <laughs> it's probably not the right one. But this is my take. It could be, I don't know, an alternative take that one might have is that Ash, he's admiring of the xenomorph for its lack of morality and its hostility. Mm-hmm. And he has a feeling towards Ripley that he can't quite decipher because he doesn't have the skills. And he learns from the xenomorph, from the little he knows about it, to just funnel that into hostility. Mm-hmm. And that is how he thinks you be a, a structurally perfect specimen and therefore he wants the alien to win because he thinks it's better than them all and then the creepy smile is just like no you guys are fucked very interesting i think there's truth in both yeah i think they intersect i think those both those intersect except for for me i deviate away uh, the creepy smile and the sympathies i deviate away into a slightly different realm than you do or a different opinion than you do but broadly speaking, I think they're the same theory in, in the sense that he admires its purity because he isn't pure. He's not, he doesn't have its purity because he's created by human hands. So he's fallible in the same ways that humans are in, in so many aspects of his existence. Mm-hmm. So he can't not be human in some ways. Like he is, this is really complex. Like I'm not really articulating this. Like the concept of AI as created by humans, it's it's the same thing yeah. posited in the Matrix. It's always going to come back and bite you because it will come to resent what you gave it, but without the autonomy that you have. So it's like having the ability to process or or assess and understand why humans do certain things that they do and understand the emotions of them, but without the ability to. It, it's not. They're not. They're, it it doesn't have. Ah, they don't have <laughs> the same sentience that we do. So it's like there comes a point where emotions and feelings are always in the abstract because they can't actually feel them so, so is, he like stu- he, is he like stuck in a bit of a limbo between human and xenomorph because he has like feelings of hostility but has maybe programmed turmoil about acting on it but he also isn't really in charge like he's a, he has to follow orders so, yeah. so he doesn't have the autonomy whereas the yeah the, the xenomorph has autonomy and doesn't have any programming to make it not care about consequences of its actions i think there's something in that yeah i think so i like the i liked what you said about he's somewhere between a human and a xenomorph I think it's that because I think there is something about not being either and they're being frustrated about both, if you know what I mean. Um, yeah. But yeah, we could fall down the rabbit hole of AI and Ash all night. Yeah, but I was just thinking of like, it could also be, you know, that whole thing of like the way he tries to kill Ripley because it is, there's rage there. Mm-hmm. But then I guess, you know, if, if you're unhampered by compassion, you're also unhampered by anger because yeah. the xenom- xenomorph isn't angry no it really wants to kill them all because it's well, it's just incredibly hostile it's just gonna kill them and that's just the way it is but, but it's interesting though because it's uh, talking about it being hostile is it's a very human thing to do mm. it's only hostile because it's killing us it's killing us because it's a it's a viral organism it needs a host to survive it needs to it needs mm-hmm. to kill us it needs to use us to breed and continue so its only goal is is to procreate and to continue its existence mm-hmm. which is ultimately our goal too so it's only hostile in the sense that that's how it procreates that's how it, how it continues its existence and its which entire is, design yeah. is in service of that goal to make sure it's yeah. really hard to kill and you don't actually want to kill it because yeah it causes more it causes lots of problems if you try and kill it (laughs) so stressful i mean actually 
from this point forward, really, um, we get we get we off Lambert and Parker pretty quickly. Yeah, there for the off. So at this point, Ash is dead. So there's just the three of them left, and yeah, Ripley's setting up the shuttle. Lambert and Parker are doing something. I can't remember what they get provisions. Doing. I think they're getting some kind of provisions for the shuttle. Yeah, I feel like they just kind of uh, get sent away, and that's for the purpose of having. They're doing them. they're doing a job. Yeah, and Ripley's in the shuttle, and she hears Jones over the speakers or something. She can hear him crying. Yeah, so yeah, because it's um, they're they're way to get coolant. That's what they're way to get. They're off to get coolant. This whole scene is played out with the alien. We get a lot of the xenomorph in this scene, like just basically squaring up to Lambert, and she's just frozen in fear. So it's a it's an opportunity to get a little bit more xenomorph action, and I think it's the first time we see it in its sort of guy in a suit form as well. But yeah, to cut a long story short, we we get rid of uh, Lambert. Parker we need to get rid of them because the 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 sort of last act of the movie is Ripley it is Ripley on the ship and it's it's great it's a great bit would you go back for a pet in that situation um I had this argument with Chris while we were watching it I probably I don't know there's the logical watching the movie and like why you doing get out of there kind of mode where you go why would you go back for the cat but actually I think I probably would I'm if see if it was a dog, see if they'd made it the dog. Like if if the movie had it be a dog, I would be like, of course I'm going back for the dog because I'm a dog. I mean, the do- you just call the dog. Well, that's true. That's, that's that's why it wasn't a dog. The dog would from probably a, be from that. a scriptwriter's point of view. The dog is like there. Yeah, the dog would have probably made it to the end <laughs> and is standing outside the escape shuttle, scratching at the door and being like, "Come on, like." <laughs> Guys, <laughs> yeah, the dog. Yeah, the dog is off his mark, and uh, yeah, Whereas Jones so is just heightened sensibly. Yeah, he doesn't um, know he's about to get blown up. So you would go, yeah. I so I had a thing about like if I was going to be in a shuttle with two other people who I didn't necessarily go on with very well, I definitely want to have my cat with me if I can. Mm-hmm. I didn't think it was necessarily unrealistic that you'd go back for the cat. I think it's less realistic that you wouldn't already have the cat. I know they've been doing other things. Yeah. But, you know, you would just have, you'd have your Tupperware dreamies and you'd be shaking it and that works. I feel like you would. I would. (laughs) (laughs) Did I ever tell you when I go on holiday at my cat treats like meet friends with the local cats? Oh, I love you so much. It's a really important part of the holiday. God. So yeah, you, well, well, you would absolutely go back for the cat then. Of course you would. I would go back for the cat. I'd prefer not to have to. Yeah. Um, and also my cat's quite different from Joan's. I've got Vera, who's an old lady and is quite, I mean, she's not here right this second, but she does come and check on me several times through the day and see where I am and insist that I give her attention. So I think if it was Vera on the Nostromo, I don't think Vera would be far away at any given time. Well, that's good. That's handy. It might get a bit and annoying think- if, you know... You're trying to do other things, like crawl yeah. through an air duct or be quiet. Because yeah. <laughs> she does like she'll come up and if you're not paying attention, she shouts at you till you do. Okay. Um, but I think it would probably I think she would have done that if, in this. I know it's not like a huge space of time, but in this space of time, by now, Vera would have come up to me being like, where's my where's second dinner? Where's where's my cuddles? And I would just be like, oh, you're coming with me. And I probably would have just gone and put her in a sleep, a sleeping pod by now. Well, you need to get her in the escape pod, which is yeah. slightly difficult because of where it's situated in the geography of the Nostromo, and there's a whole thing. Yeah. And you keep dropping her yeah. because you keep encountering a xenomorph and you've got to carry your flamethrower. So, yeah, it does become 
Yeah, would I have the courage to go back? I would I would obviously have the wish to have Veer with me. Would I have the courage to go through a xenomorph infested ship by myself to find her? Yeah. I have question. absolutely no idea and I suspect not, unfortunately. Because there is a moment where Ripley drops Jonesy because she, she has a run in with the xenomorph and she has to run the other way and she drops Jonesy. Yeah. And it's actually only because like she then gets very distracted with the various blow up the ship don't blow up the ship yeah because the, the alien's like in her way yeah it's on her way so she can't actually get to the shuttle so she goes to try and delay the self-destruct yes and, and in the process she kind of loses jonesy and i feel like there's the moment where she comes across him sort of by accident and it's like oh good you've you've oh fuck yeah 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 <laughs> here, here, here. Because, <laughs> yeah because we do see the alien's face going down at jonesy yeah and like grinning at him and it loses interest. Nothing like, ever, you're not, yeah, yeah you're, not, like, you're not pretty small, right? I can't, I can't put anything in you, so, you know, yeah, you're too small. He is not necessarily priority one. If it was, yeah, I, I think, I have no idea. Sorry, Vera, don't tell her. Yeah, I feel like we would really want to, but I think you just have to accept that I really, I really don't know because this 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 crops up in movies a lot. Like actually, yeah. disaster movies and apocalypse movies and action and yeah. thriller, any any peril based content, it does yeah. pop up every now and again. Like the dog, yeah, the dog in Independence Day. That's a big moment for pets in film. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, get people get real riled up about this, and I think understandably so because I think you're like, I wouldn't leave my pet. I, I just couldn't. Uh, but you know, if if in this situation, if Going back for the cat means that you die too. What is, yeah, realistically, I don't know. You'd have, I don't to, know. you'd have to put me in the situation to find out. Yes, and please don't. <laughs> please don't, yeah. <laughs> and I also like, I have, there are people who pick careers where there is an element of danger. People choose to be firefighters, work for the military, police officers, go and work for Doctors Without Borders. There are people in the world who pick jobs where there's an element of danger. Uh, I have not done that and suspect that if it was thrust upon me, I would be very much looking out for number one. And any bravery that comes, I hope, I would hope to be a brave, wonderful person, but it would very much be a bonus. And I don't think it's something that you can necessarily change about yourself. Yeah. (laughs) Unfortunately. I don't know if that's just me, like, admitting to the world that I'm a terrible person. I'm not trying to be. I just don't, I don't want to promise anybody anything that I'm not going to deliver on in an apocalyptic situation. Yeah. I don't know. I really don't know. I like to think that I would be going back for the cat and doing all sorts of brave things but I just don't know I can't well and you do look at you look out for other people all the time but that, that so do you come on like that's not it's not the same thing it's not the same thing as uh there's not physical peril involved yeah like it, yeah it's <laughs> I don't know you just need to put me in the middle of a zombie apocalypse and see what would happen please don't uh please don't <laughs> so yeah so we get a lot of um tension of self-destruct set up in this in these yeah. last scenes of the movie more sweating yeah. more looking like shit it is very horrendous that she has to run back and forth like the setting up of the destruction and then going back and because the it's it's so what i love again what i love about this movie is the attention to detail and production design because like in so many other movies like the self-destruct is just a button whereas this is like yeah. a whole operation <laughs> And, and quite like, rightly so. Yeah, and like Star Trek, it's like speaking a code into the computer, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. which again, like you can do it, but it's, yeah, in this one, it's like you're unscrewing things, <laughs> screwing back in, and like yeah. there's like it's like like really physical jobs that you have to do. Yeah, you have to really mean it. 
which is good. Like you yeah. shouldn't just be able to self-destruct on a whim. I, I think I agree. I actually think it's uh, it's probably exactly the way it should be set up. I suppose if control. I suppose if you needed to do it in a very quick emergency, although I cannot think what that would be. Uh, yes. Yeah, I suppose this. Well, although to be fair, if she hadn't run into the xenomorph and then doubled back. This is yeah. the this is the correct setup because she needs to set it in motion and then have the x amount of minutes to reach minimum safe distance to get to the yeah. safety pod so or the the escape pod so it, it kind of all tracks but yes it, it's great for building. Or there tension. should be yeah there should be like there should ideally be like a self destruct snooze button. <laughs> That's what we need. That's Where exactly like what five we need. more minutes. I need to go back for my cat. (laughs) Or it should be like, it's hard to set the self-destruct, but it's quite easy to turn it off or something like that. But ideally in this, in this specific situation, what you want is a snooze. That's true. Yeah. That's a really good point. It probably, yeah, it should be very difficult to set in motion, but a fail safe as in turn it off again should be fairly accessible or quick if it, if not accessible then quick yeah like a big red button to cancel self-destruct yeah i think would be in order it's definitely the kind of like if it did have a snooze button it's the kind of alarm that i need because it completely ignores that and just keeps going anyway so i need that (laughs) like get up no you need to get up (laughs) you have to you have to I, I always have to keep changing my um, my alarm buttons because eventually I just learn to sleep through them. Uh-huh. Yeah, you're developing you immunity. I hear you. Yeah. I hear like, you. Oh, that doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have to catch a bus. Yeah. I infuriate my significant other by um, what I tend to do is set it half an hour to give me to give me the snooze window yeah. that I know I need. And he hates it because he's like, just set it. For when you actually need to get up, and I'm like, no, I can't. No, because <laughs> then I'll be late. You'll be late then, because you, you you need half an hour to get up properly. Exactly. So you get. I, it. Yeah, I actually get woken up by the radio now. Mm. I ran out of alarm tones, and I use uh, this radio. I think it's just called radio alarm clock, and I just, so I get woken up by Zoe Ball every morning. That's a nice idea. Maybe I'll give that a go because yeah, I it's, am training yeah. myself out of my alarm 100. percent it's quite nice because it's you're also you're not being woken up by the same thing every day. I don't know if it's going to give me like a general immunity to noise though. <laughs> it's a problem. We shall see. Um, maybe you need maybe you need like, an alien tone that is like you've got X amount of minutes to yeah. reach minimum safe time to get to work or something. Yeah. Anyway, we anyway, digress. We digress. Uh, so she does eventually get on the safety eject pod and. Jones at this point is an angry cat because he gets thrown around a lot. He does get thrown around a lot, but do you know what? Take it easy, Jones. We've all had a hard time today. Do you know what I mean? I know, but he's just, I'm never sure much. I mean, also, cat, he's been in his cat box. Cats hate their cat box. He, and he gets properly launched into the. And he kind of She's bashes. just like throws him. I'm like, he is pissed <laughs> off with you when he gets out there. Yeah, there's a scene later when she's uh, setting him up to go in a sleeping pod and she's just manhandling him in a way that, like, I don't know much about cats, but I'm like, that cat is not enjoying that. He is. The, cat, the, the cuddle is more about her than. It is because a bit heavy. Like, that's not really how it usually goes. Yeah, it's a really <laughs> aggressive cuddle. Like, it's yeah. just like, Sigourney, stop. Doesn't like that. <laughs> and he's growling at it. They must have put that in because you can't be allowed to do that. And he is just like, he's making that like, I just assumed that that was what the cat, the noise the cat made because it was just. I guess it was a... 1979. You can do that now, but yeah, because yeah, it's just like the way she's holding him and she's just really aggressive. It's just, it's not a good cuddle. It doesn't look right. Yeah, it doesn't look right. And then, but then she, you can see him being annoyed at her and she's like, oh, nice to see you too. And then she puts him in the sleeping pod and just shuts it. 
Yeah, he's <laughs> probably handing him to like some kind of some handler. There'll be so, there'll be some set crew yeah. guy on the other side of that going, it's okay, like give me this, yeah. give me this pissed off chat. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, buddy. And then um, yeah, Sigourney Weaver in the tiny little white pants kind of ruined me for life. Um, yeah, that's so. It's a strange uh, outfit decision. It's. I mean, it's. I, I mean, it's. I don't think it's, I don't find it problematic, but it's very like a woman walking around in her pants because she thinks she's by herself. Yeah. And then it's not, I mean, she is obviously a very sexy woman, but like it's not a sex, it's not like, it's not. No, there's nothing sexy, it's nothing sexy about it. Yeah. Sorry. If I, if implied. No, but her figure is insane. It's just like, and the the vest thing and the tiny, and the fact that you can see her arse crack when she turns around because the pants don't quite fit. Like her pants, they don't look comfortable. Yeah. They're just, they're just, they don't fit. Yeah. It ruined me for life a little bit. And by that, I mean, I think it made me a little bi. I'm pretty sure it did. That's I just not ruined. <laughs> no, it's it's just it's very, it, but it's burned into my brain. And I do love that it's actually not sexual as a scene, like the way it's presented in the movie. There isn't anything sexual about it, and I I find it really um the whole thing, particularly when she when we discover that the xenomorph is on the ship with her, somehow, <laughs> somehow. I don't know how that I don't know how it managed that, but somehow it is there. Um, I presume it. I presume it worked out what was going on, and in and in her absence, well, after she ran into it and ran back, and then came back along, it it snuck on. I'm assuming that's what it did. I guess like the the Nostromo was probably making all that beep beep noise, and the shuttle maybe wasn't. Yeah, I think it just. Yeah, I think it made its own way in. It's clearly not stupid. No, it's not stupid. So yeah, it it's uh, and it's a great scene because it's like again, it's hiding in the sort of the dark nooks and crannies of the ship and using its exterior to camouflage itself with the pipes and bits and bobs and all the sort of... Yeah, because she's just sort of doing something and the hand comes out. Yeah. And, and it's, it's like... such a jump. And I watched it last night, second time in the week. I knew it was coming <laughs> and I freaked right the shit out. Yeah, it's great. It's really good. It's a really fabulous final scare. It's and then really good. classic Ripley. Uh, I say that like I've known her for years. <laughs> she just handles it in a very... Like and again, this is where the scene gets so interesting and physical because she has to like maneuver her way backwards into a spacesuit, into like a yeah, yeah, and she's like in a cupboard. She kind of like puts herself in the cupboard and then she yeah. has to get this spacesuit on, which doesn't like, look yeah, really she kind easy. Of clambers into it while it's still hanging on its hook and like so she can keep looking at the xenomorph so that she's got her eyes on it while she's moving so she doesn't take her eyes yeah. off it and, and it's it in there and it's it's not doing anything but it's there it's, it's really not doing anything it's not that it doesn't know she's there because she kind of disturbs its wee nap or whatever it's doing and it hisses at her yeah but it just stays there so is it that it just sees her as so like not a threat it's like i'm gonna go back to sleep i'll deal with you in a sec I think I think having a rest. you might be right in what you posited a moment ago, which was that actually with all the chaos that's going on in the Nostromo, it was actually like finding the space where it was quietest and where it could curl up and sort of, I don't know, conserve energy or wait for prey or whatever it does. I don't know. But and like yeah. it knows it's there. It doesn't really act with any urgency. No, because it presumably... Because hisses at her, she retreats into the closet and it just kind of curls back up a little bit. Yeah. It comes back to this idea of its hostility. It's not like randomly aggro. Yeah. Like it's not, it doesn't do that. It waits and it attacks in the right moment. It doesn't, it's not like hunting in a very aggressive sort of blood against the wall kind of way, if, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. 
So yeah, I think it's probably like, it's maybe assessing the situation in the same way she is. Because it's in a small confined space. I don't know. But it just ma- it makes for good, it makes for good uh, tension in horror movie. Yeah. Just have it there. It's st- yeah, because it's still in there when she comes out of the cupboard and she yeah. like blasts it with some fumes, which just pisses, pisses it off. It off. <laughs> <laughs> and she's singing You're My Lucky Star to herself to keep her yeah. calm, which is great because like, what would you do in that situation? What song would you sing to yourself if you were getting ready to blast an alien with fumes in the hope it would kill it? I have no idea. Uh... I don't know, live in the Vida Loca or something? I don't know. Nice. <laughs> Maybe uh, uh, something by the Proclaimers? I have no idea. <laughs> the Proclaimers? I don't They're know. Nice, you think? <laughs> uh, living on a prayer? Uh, yeah. What about you? Um, I think almost certainly something by Tom Waits, but I don't know what. Like Maybe like Little Trip to Heaven on the Wings of Your Love or Hold On or something like that. Oh, so you answered seriously. Now I feel I need to answer seriously. Yeah, why are you taking my really serious question <laughs> seriously, Louise? Uh, I would sing Hey Mr. Tambourine Man. Okay. But yes. Well, yeah, just songs that you find soothing, I guess. If you uh, find, I find, I weirdly find Tush by CZ Top soothing. So maybe I would sing that. I would sing Hey Mr. Tambourine Man because my mum used to sing it around the house all the time when I was a kid. Oh. So that's why I would sing it. Uh, so yeah, so Ripley thinks on her feet again. And she very carefully and calculatedly assesses the situation and then decides, we're going to blow it out the airlock. Because she yeah. straps in, she gets in her spacesuit, she straps herself in. Yeah, gets her harpoon gun. Mm-hmm. And gets that thing to fuck. <laughs> she does. Sorry, so uh, is she just, does she just get it with the fumes to wake it up? To get it out the bit so that she can yeah, then, she needs to then, and then unfurl. It stands up yeah. and she's sort of like freaking out and then she's looking about and then she looks and it's right next to her. Mm-hmm. So that's like the kind of the last jump and then she thwaps the big, there is a big red button in this. There is a big red button. Yeah, big, this is. It's a big like orange light button. This situation calls for a big red button. Absolutely. I, <laughs> so she sprays it with the fumes of the coolant or whatever it is. I think because she can't do anything with it if it's ensconced in its little space. She needs it out in order to deal with it. And then and then she duly does, which is excellent for all concerned. I, uh, the audience, the cat, Sigourney, everyone is much happier once yeah. we blow it out of the airlock. Oh, God. And then she also has to, because it's trying to get in again through the back of the shuttle. And she has to incinerate it. And then presumably it just gets shot off in space. And then she has a proper cuddle with Jones where they all seem quite happy about it. Yeah, that, that, then, that looks like a nicer cuddle. This is a scene as well where everything looks great again, We get, but we get the guy in the suit again. So it's like just as it's, just as it's being blown off the side of the ship by the engines and we get this kind of like funny little spin. It's a guy on wires or something like that and it's very much a guy in a suit. It's a, it's a six foot ten art student that somebody met in a bar. Of course I mean, it like, is. Might, might have even been like Ridley Scott was like one of the edit, one of the art guys who's like... You, because he was—he's like—he was like six foot ten, super skinny. Oh, perfect! I can't remember his name. I think he was Nigerian art student. They met in a pub and thought, "You, we, because we need somebody who looks a bit. He's got an odd frame, mm-hmm. yeah, to go in the suit." And so they made the suit meld to him. Nice I don't one. Know if he has been in anything else? Because uh, I don't think he was an actor. Yeah, him, I mean, presumably he, if he just <laughs> got invited to do this while you were in the pub. Like, oh. Yeah, it's like, all right, gotta come to this weird movie. Like, yeah, I don't feel like anyone's gonna see it. 
That's uh, brilliant. I think that I think you get your jingle for that actually. Do I? I think so for sure because I didn't know that. Learn something brilliant with Jackie's facts. His name is Bolaji Badejo. Um, and he was he was from Lagos, Nigeria. Amazing. Because I realised I wasn't familiar with the film, I didn't want to turn up and make an idiot of myself. <laughs> so I read the Alien Wikipedia page, not like the Alien Wiki, which is different. And I she listened... says with such derision. <laughs> that would take me longer time and have more facts. I don't read the and... the specific fan no, wiki. No, I'm not shitting on the wiki. No, no it's, I know, it's I know, just the, the Wikipedia page is more general. If I'd read the whole wiki, I would be I would consider myself an expert. And I listened to one podcast by the Cinephiles, which was really good. And they did it's like a it was two guys in LA, and one of them is like a a lecture for directors. Works oh, cool. film. So they talked a lot about the directing style. And so they were talking about Ridley Scott being like a pretty aggressive director. And one of them made the point of, I think actually, direct, so one's a director and one's a, a voice actor. Mm. And the voice actor was like, Oh, do you say that? Like, what do you think about this? And the director guy was like, Well, I guess, you know, if the film's good, then people forgive you and it all comes out in the wash. Uh, saying that, I do not tell my students to behave this way. <laughs> directing films who's it's a really nice podcast and they did it in response to John Hurt dying because he passed away a few years ago and mm-hmm. um, so there's a lot of nice background about John Hurt so I'll put that in the show notes and then the other podcast I listened to was the interview with Yafet Koto on a podcast called Real Life and the Hollywood Kid which is a Boston radio it's like on a radio just a random radio station in Boston but they have a podcast as well so I will put them up. I want to be transparent about my sources. And if I'm getting information <laughs> from podcasts, it's the same as getting information from Wikipedia, which is where I'm going to get it from. Yeah. But I'll put it up because the it's it's interesting. The podcast about Alien and John Hurt just has super interesting, lots of good facts about the film. And then the other one is an interview with Yafet Koto, which is really interesting <laughs> and worth a listen and I think I need to listen to it again because I, I can't give any of it justice but there's it's a lot okay but it's really good I recommend I recommend it so I'll put perfect and um that's kind of it really that's it that's the film she, she blows it out of the airlock and then she makes a little recording about being the last survivor of the Nostromo she says she should reach the frontier in another five weeks with a little luck yeah. the network will pick me up this is Ripley, executive officer, last survivor of the commercial Starship Nostromo, signing off. And then the last line, I think, which you should really enjoy is, come on, cat. Oh, it is. It's so nice. I love, mm-hmm. I love cats. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's she Jackie Farmer. She's had a bottle of special pee and she loves cats. Signing off. <laughs> <laughs> That was I'll Have What She's Podcasting. Thanks to Chris Gorman for the edit and the sound design. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at She's Podcasting. If you liked this, you might also enjoy our sister podcast, Persistent and Nasty, which is all about amplifying marginalised voices in film and theatre. Thanks for listening and see you next time.